This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. I'm assuming you can hear me in the spaces. Yeah. Well, and this is a very special episode of Art of Darkness, the podcast about the dark side of creativity. We have Dexter Paz here. Uh, Dexter, you have a podcast called the Scarlet Thread Society. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. And he's part of the Great Timeline Earth Collective. Yes. Mm. He's the true heir of Art Bell. There we go. That's the the important one right there. That's right. He's the man. I'm super excited about this. I'm really excited. We've got Minnesota here, Kevin Kautzman. We've got the keg of America, Wisconsin, (laughs) Dexter. And then we got Michigan. So we're spanning the upper Midwest. And uh, we are actually live streaming this uh, in our first Twitter spaces. So we'll see if we get any uh, turnout there. But kind of excited. And then we're recording this. And then Dexter is also going to release this under his podcast. So it's a joint effort. And it's the first time... We're gonna we're gonna stream or watch together simultaneously. We're gonna simulcast a film. Of course, everyone knows the great classic Stanley Kubrick movie, two thousand and one. Bum bum bum. <laughs> a space odyssey. <laughs> I am so excited. Oh. I can't wait. Uh, this this idea came to the three of us, and we just thought, let's do it. We've already covered uh, Kubrick uh, on Art of Darkness. You can go back and listen to Kubrick. We've yet to do Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, We're definitely we going to do day. that. Yeah, yeah, and we uh, we have the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah, which is where this thing was born. We're gestated. We're yeah. We're yes. given life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you the could idea, say the Chelsea mm-hmm. Hotel is the is the monolith. You it could. is. <laughs> you could. You could say anything. I but. wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, the so, reason I said this is I did a lot of listening to various other people talking about 2001 Space Odyssey over the last week, and there is a lot of speculation about what the mon- monolith is. And you know, so it's so it's just funny to me. Like anything is the monolith. This cup of coffee is it the monolith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and My really, iPhone. that is yeah. one of the most interesting, if not the the most interesting part of the film too mm-hmm. right what oh, yeah. is the monolith what is it yeah you know yeah, to yeah, the yeah. point where you could just make a meme of it like that and i'm sure mm-hmm. everyone's got their pet answer oh yeah for sure for mm-hmm. sure i think we'll see the way it manifests a couple different times in the movie and we will have our chance to throw uh, throw noodles at the wall and see what sticks well we typically start and i hope uh dexter it's all right if we stick to the format work we're used to for our show i hope that's okay we usually start with the question which is what do you know about XYZ artist? But I think in this case, like we can ask Dexter, what do you know about the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey? <laughs> uh, I know that it's a absolute classic. I know that it's made by one of the masters. 
And I know that I have seen it several times throughout my life, but not so recently as after I started to really get woke to symbolism in film. So being familiar with it, but not being familiar with the deeper tones, I'm going into this with uh, fresh eyes, as it were. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, Derek, yeah. so I just noticed real quick before we get in the movie, you are actually muted in the spaces. Sorry for that. There's a little technical yeah. Ooh, technical issue. difficulties. Yeah. There you go. Now there you, you go. go. Cool. Good. Good. All right. Good. So that was yes. recorded in the episode, but, but not. That'll be out on the episode. Okay. There you go. Well, All right. That's what we got. Out. On that's for four anyways yeah exactly <laughs> exactly we're, we're all good okay well, and so, so for people listening uh who are not listening live and i guess for the guys listening live if you want to screen 2001 a space odyssey along with us we're going to start it simultaneously i'm going to find the moment in the f- the first few minutes of the film where i'm going to say pause we're all going to make sure we're synced then we're going to press play again and it's going to be like it's 1978. You're in your parents' basement. You're, you're getting a little high. And the, yeah. the second time the lion roars, <laughs> you play Dark Side of the Moon and you play it together. And there you go, off to yes. see the wizard. Uh, so this should be fun. And, and the idea behind this episode is that we're going to sort of rap about Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke and the making of the movie and little bits and bobs that we know. We've got a little bit of an outline. Uh, it's not really a mystery science theater th- thing. We're not trying to lampoon the movie. It's more about sort of using it to open up a discussion. And and uh, Dexter's very interested in symbolism, symbolism in film. Brad and I did our Kubrick episode already. So I think there's gonna, it's going to be fun. It's an experiment. So you all ready to press play? Let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Blast off. And of course, Brad pointed out already that uh, how funny it is because the beginning of the movie is just literally has just this dark humming black. Right. Yeah. So, so good <laughs> luck finding a spot to sync that up. <laughs> but it is, it is there. I was there is something about starting with this black and then it's just that like one single note that mm-hmm. and it is definitely imagine 1968. You get into the movie theater. You know Kubrick's last movie was Doctor Strange Love. You're not really sure what you're in for, but you know your cousin's buddy saw saw it somehow and says, "Yeah, oh, this is the craziest movie you've ever seen." You get in, you are baked out of your mind on Mexican brickweed. <laughs> yes, and then it's just black, and this noise is happening to you. Your one, your one buddy doesn't like to smoke, but he's <laughs> drank a whole thing of Robitussin. He's ready to rock. He's not driving. <laughs> You know the yeah. guy. Yeah, so we're like a minute okay. in. It is still black. Are we black. watching? Mm. Okay, no. See, I, I have a different cut, so it's still black. Uh-oh. You get okay. the you get the No, no, go, go. So I we're going to we're going to pause the film cuz I'm already hearing uh is it is it Strauss? Uh also Sprach Zarathustra? Yeah, is it that, is mm, also yeah. Sprach the Earth Zarathustra um, to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so when it comes to say I feel so left out. You guys are in Stanley's waiting room and I'm already in the movie. Yeah. Uh yeah. A Stanley Kubrick production. When it says okay. that, press pause. Okay. okay. It's got to right. be coming up. I'm a minute yeah. 40 in. I'm at a minute 38. <laughs> okay. So. This is riveting radio. It is. It's fantastic. Fascinating the way he's yeah. using this to prime us, right? <laughs> Movies going, don't yeah. do this anymore. No, right. He's, he's screwing with my head already, honestly. <laughs> Well, it's like a womb. The cinema is like a social Mm. womb. You're in the theater. You're all together. You're sitting in the dark. You start to feel that kind of strange tingle. You're like the the monkeys later in the cave Mm. where they're hiding. They're hiding against the dark. Ooh, yeah. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah, He's messing with you. 
I, uh, I have a couple of fun kind of personal anecdotes about this that should be good. One of my buddies, this old timer in Manhattan, actually worked on the film. Uh, oh, really? As, as a special effects guy. Yeah, I think I've mentioned that before. So I think we'll, I'll probably talk a little bit about that. Well, why not? Uh, I yeah. guess, well, let's wait until we get to the models because I know right. he worked on the models. Uh, and he hated Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Just couldn't stand working with him? Yeah, he said he was impossible because this is a like a journeyman special effects guy. This guy worked on the um, on Rosemary's Baby, you know, uh-huh. when when the woman falls to her death on the love bug. He talked about having to go get pig's blood to to create that effect and all of this. Uh, so he was a working film guy, and mm-hmm. what he said was, you know, Kubrick was exactly what you would expect from him: total control freak, total perfectionist, and he said that without fail at eight o'clock in the morning, Stanley would call and he would give them an ear beating for 90 minutes. Oh, uh, when they were working. <laughs> yeah. And so we, I would pick his brain about it. He goes, I hate, I hate, hate him. <laughs> okay. okay. Now anyway, I've got the, right. I've got the, the planet, the sun coming up yep. over the earth, over the moon. Okay. Moonrise. Okay. Yep. And when it, when exactly it says, here. okay. Okay, I don't know why I got the junk version, or, but know. whatever. You, you know what I'll you do later? Gi- you got gypped, man. You're missing I'm going to turn the, all the lights out tomorrow and, or uh, tonight and just sit in the dark for two minutes. Make up <laughs> longer than I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay, Metro Goldwyn Mayer presents. Mm-hmm, yeah, Metro Goldwyn and Mayer. Yeah, all three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be good, guys. A Stanley Kubrick production. Boom, pause it. Pause okay. that sucker. Okay. Anybody listening along, whether you're listening live or you're listening later, if you want to, I, I think the episode's going to be fine. If you know 2001, you don't have to yeah. screen along to it's enjoy not like a frame whatever. frame analysis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and our episodes are three hours long anyway, so you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna feel right at home. We have a patient audience. Yeah, indeed. Yes. All right. Well, but when it says a Stanley Kubrick production, uh, press play, and we'll go on on three, fellas. Ready? One, two, two, three. three. Okay, right. I gotta mute it because it's what an incredible that that music so iconic. What a pick! Yeah, and you just well, and you uh, gotta you have to start to think. Are there some you know thus sprock Zarathustra? I mean, that's that's Wagner, yeah. right? That's Wagner inspired by Nietzsche, right? And, uh, I don't know that it's Wagner. Works. I think it's. Is it? It's is Strauss, it Strauss inspired by, yeah. by Nietzsche, right? So yeah, you got to wonder Nietzsche. what mm-hmm. would what is Kubrick trying to say? Well, I think he's talking about the, the birth the birth of the Ubermensch, the the birth of the future man. I think is mm-hmm. really what mm-hmm. he's signaling at here, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, we begin uh, on the the ancient plains. So it's so good. In the scary time. Mm-hmm. It's so good. This is what it was like to go to a public school in North Dakota in the 80s. <laughs> That's what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> the dawn of man. Uh, dude, this is like a, it's, he does this so well, but this is like a trope. If you've seen adaptation, that film, there's like a joke when he gets stuck writing and then he goes in this manic phase and he goes back to the beginning of time. And it's like, mm. that's, that's a joke like there's something about um there's a there's almost a pretension that every writer i think comes up with a a a story idea that's like i'm gonna go back to the beginning we're gonna start at the you know (laughs) well but you're making a great point right because this film begins at the beginning you have the moonrise Mm -hmm. and then we really do go back to the Mm -hmm. dawn of of oh yeah time and the cinematography is staggering you could just 
or actually this whole section just reminds me of uh, Quanis Kotze. Uh, you ever seen that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. put some boo-doo-doo-boo-doo-doo-doo-doo Philip Glass music behind this. I could right. watch this for 90 minutes after yeah. some Robitussin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is like, yeah, there's, there's, I'm going to give some production notes about this that I know about as we go, but don't expect me to know everything by any means. But one of the things, not in these shots, I mean, he sent a, a B team out to shoot these, these like national geographic style, these, like these sets, these set pieces. But when mm-hmm. we get into where we're actually looking at the Australia, Australia Pithecus or whatever creatures, it was actually done in this technique that had never done, been done on that scale. It was actually front projection. So they were projecting these background images that they'd shot um, onto glass and the, the, the monkeys were actually in front of it. But because of the contrast, the light didn't actually show up on the monkeys. Nobody had ever really done that before. And that's why it looks so, huh. it has a particular look that to me is a little bit hard to define, but it, it's very sharp. It looks, it kind of looks like a set, but. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. I, yeah. I would not even know what to call it, but it's yeah. man, well, and you really don't see a, anything mm, like this. No. Yeah. And it's everything yeah. is in the exact same amount of focus too, right? I mean, not that mm-hmm. no, not that that's mm-hmm. unique to this film at all, but Yeah, there's something yeah. surreal about this. There's something mm-hmm. and it's all intentional. He doesn't uh, I think that's exactly the word for it is yeah. surreal. Yeah. yeah. There's a dreamlike quality cuz I think this is all, I mean, part of this is like <laughs> part of this is part of this is like this stuff is sort of embedded in the human subconscious right it, it, you know you don't have to you don't have to go that far to think that we have like ancestral memories of this sort of scene yeah right? the evo psych people out there would say that it's a huge part of it yeah i mean and i i agree with them yeah i think a lot of oh our, and there, there comes oh, the, the oh leopard. no oh no <laughs> that's a guy in a monkey suit uh, and kubrick let this leopard just <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right? Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wanted him to attack him, but like, to, mm. listen, mm. Bob. I know the monkey suit's hot, but we got to get this one shot right. This leopard is going to jump on your back. You'll be fine. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. We no, one thing clawed I, it. We yeah, promise. Right. Ooh, right. boy. One thing I find interesting is there are three hard fade outs in the Dawn of Man scene. And I don't know quite what to make of that. They're hard mm. act break style fade outs. Mm. Yeah. yeah. These yeah. costumes are so interesting too. And it, of course, good. you know, in your mind as you're watching this, that it's people in the costumes. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to fake anything. No, but they're still and quite that's sort good. Of the point. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're convincing, certainly. Oh, and then here you go. So here come the, we got the, uh, what is it? The, the jets and the, uh, what's yeah, the, the West Side the sharks, story? Right? <laughs> yeah, the sharks and the jets. Here we go. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Game yeah. on. Yeah. It's the Vikings and the Packers. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Now, one of my favorite sort of anthropological ideas, notions, is that, like, you know, Kevin, you and I have talked before, like, we're still fighting World War One in a way, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah, we're still fighting. Right that literally we're still fighting this conflict. It never really ended, right? It's right, like somebody stole right. the water hole from somebody else and then mm. a million years later, it's people are mm. nuking each and other. And that's the actual sum of human history is someone right. stole the water hole. Yeah, right? is, this, is this lineage mm. starting with some conflict and it reciprocating and, and, and refracting throughout history? Yeah, one reference that I have is in a, on a website called cinephiliabeyond.org and 
in the Chelsea Hotel episode we did on Art of Darkness at artofdarkpod.com, we referenced this and I got a nice picture of Stanley looking real uh, raccoon-like with big black circles around his eyes and then Arthur C. Clarke kind of looking like a uh, like a middle manager for a beverage distribution company <laughs> in the West. Uh, I heard you can do real well with that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know what a beverage distributor is uh, personally, that, but that's a little bit uh, very online. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to keep coming back to this uh, because it's his diary of the writing of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, uh, so uh, let me... is a painted horse, by the way. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. A, a paint. Why? They painted a horse. They couldn't get a zebra. No, they couldn't get a zebra. So they painted a horse. Interesting. Yeah. No horses so were painted. He in can the get a leopard film. to ambush one of his actors with, but he right. couldn't get the zebra. <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Zebras won't work for scale. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Well, they're smart. <laughs> uh, so let me just read three of these excerpts. May 28th, 1964. Uh, suggested to Stanley that they, quote unquote, might be machines who regard organic life as a hideous disease. Stanley thinks this is cute and feels we've got something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this is, I don't want to get ahead of things, but let me read one more. It's May 31st. One hilarious idea we won't use. 17 alien featureless black pyramids riding in open cars down Fifth Avenue surrounded by (laughs) Irish cops. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. Yeah, you got to let yourself rip when you're feeling creative and you've been hired by Stanley Kubrick or you decided to do a collab. And we're talking about May 1964. Get out of here. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Right, so we're hiding in the dark. We're hiding in the dark. I actually like the, love uh, this scene. Yeah. I, I do love this scene because it, he zooms in on the face finally of one of these creatures, which mm. is a daring move. You got to be confident. There's a hard fade out again. Mm. You yeah. got to be confident yeah. in your costuming when you're doing that. But, but there's something about he's getting to the real primal fear of what it was to be in this scenario, right? That mm. he's making that a human. He's really, I feel like pushing the button hard. Like this is. These are your great great grandparents basically dealing with this right. situation. It's scary. You don't know what's going to happen. You're going to get attacked by a leopard. Uh, the other band, the other troop is going to come and steal everything you have, which isn't much. You know, it's very. You know, and to that point, I'd just like to say when he zoomed in on the face like that, yeah. his actor absolutely nailed it with the eye movement. Yes. There. It yes. was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good face acting. And now we have the, mo- now we have the monolith here oh man and that music comes up that creepy i don't know what the name of that is it's i think it's gagati or something like that sort of strange composer mm, how does it go it's like mm, oh it's so creepy it's got like very like druidic kind of vocal notes to it Mm -hmm. right right very unsettling so yeah now you get the monolith and Apparently, there were a bunch of different ideas about what this model was going to be. It was going to be a tetrahedron at one point, so it basically looked like a pyramid. Um, Arthur C. Clarke and, and, and uh, um, Kubrick played with the idea of making it a screen on, that would like show them how to make fire, if you could imagine how cheesy that would be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, that really wouldn't have done it for me. I'm no. glad they didn't go that yeah. direction. Yeah. It would be like a just... YouTube how-to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You were saying, Dexter? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm just saying, I think this is exactly what it needs to be. You know, the machined yeah. sort of qualities, the perfection of the shape right. against the rest of the landscape. Yeah. I, yeah. Obviously, this is speaking so many years after they did it. So the yeah. well's kind of poisoned by that. But I don't yeah. know how it could have been anything else. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't have worked nearly as well. Because, I mean, the whole straight lines in nature thing, you know, like exactly. that is yeah. so unsettling in and of itself. And people keep, you know, there's a lot of talk about like, well, what? Okay, what is what is the model? What is it? What is it? Why does it do this? I'm of the opinion that really it doesn't need to do anything except blow their minds. And just yeah. the fact that it blows their minds is enough to crack things open to get you thinking differently, right? Like right. it doesn't have right. to beam the message how to do yeah, yeah, in yeah. your head. All it needs mm -hmm. to do is show you there's a different way of doing something. It's right? like when Alex Jones goes on Joe Rogan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to be right. <laughs> he just has well, to and, blow and your that's mind. That's what it yeah. is, right? It's the ability yeah. to damage the consensus as mm -hmm. it exists. Mm -hmm. And he, that's what's so powerful about that. Oh, and then they cut the music, hard cut, boom, like, Oh, it's so good. Well, and, they're, and they're all worshiping it as well for not a small amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now we're back on the savannah, sunrise the next day, and now you're dealing with what's the aftermath of this. And, and it's gone. This mm. is like doing mushrooms or something, in my mm. opinion, right? It's yes, like I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> all that happened, and then the next day, it's Whoop. just over. It's gone. Did it really happen at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is something too. Is like I, you guys. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the whole stoned ape theory. Terrence McKenna oh, that Terrence sure. McKenna kind of laid out, right? Oh yeah. Which everybody thinks is like, oh, some monkey ate mushrooms and then became a human being, which is not what his point was. It was much more gradual process of imbibing sure. these things regularly and the, the, mm -hmm. the slight modifications it made to your interpersonal language and, 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 and those sorts of things rather than, you know, um, but certainly was for me. <laughs> I think anyone who takes that overly literally is probably being super disingenuous. Yeah, I think, I think so too, or just hasn't taken the time to really understand what he was talking about. I think there's, and now he's, he's smashing the, the bones right right and right. the music plays and it's almost like the sound of music too in a funny way mm -hmm. this is this was the first drummer that's a good point yeah yeah, yeah. there's yeah. there's all sorts of things going on here mm -hmm. and and he smashes the head of the mm -hmm. uh the skull of the the pig it's yeah. time to and then of course this this is going to set his entire tribe uh ahead you know mm -hmm. in in the book this is quite provocative and intense like this yeah. this figure what do they call him moon moon um, Oh, that is Moon Watcher or something Moon like Watcher, that? something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it would have been, yeah. Yeah, because he becomes, he's like the leader of the tr his tribe and all well, that. Well, yeah, because now he can secure protein. Right, right. I'm yeah, and then, and then technology. This, this, they're match cutting mm -hmm. it with this taper getting killed. And so that's his mental process. Like he's understanding now what this thing does, right? And, and mm -hmm. sort of play acting it. So, so there's something about the discovery of analogy here. Like this like relating one thing to another thing that, that he and his people weren't maybe capable of before all that. And, and yes, cool. it is moon watcher moon yeah. watcher. Yeah. Now the guy who played that moon watcher was this like classically trained mime apparently. And Kubrick mm. let him do at like kind of ad lib that whole scene, which I think he does great. I mean, yeah. yeah that now was and they're all, <laughs> now they're the, all hanging the out and they got pork. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Messing with these guys again.
and they're all <laughs> hanging that. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Delicious. What? For the first barbecue. <laughs> a little, a <laughs> little, a little rare for me, but what do they call that in Wisconsin? It's tiger meat, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw some onions in that. You're in good shape. (laughs) All right. The keg of America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is there a Wisconsin Minnesota rivalry? Is that like a Michigan Ohio thing? Oh, 100%. Okay. 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 Indeed. Okay. That's all right though. I'm I'm German Irish, so I'm more Wisconsin, but we'll leave, we'll leave it, uh, leave it aside. (laughs) This is, this is the two, the two tribes of chimps fighting Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's all the same. That's all the same. Yeah. 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 They're they're so provocative too. And then, and then they square off over the water, the watering hole. Yeah. They're going to get it back here. All, and all he's got is a bone. It's like the the advantage is so subtle, so slight, but it's huge. Yep. Yep. And they've already, uh, he's already wrecked. Mm-hmm. you're done son yeah <laughs> yeah then they all they all get in there and they start uh yeah. wailing yeah yeah and you can tell the other apes are not happy about it because they just lost their uh their uh warrior whatever it is yeah, yeah. get out of here some of this <laughs> yeah 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 That's right yeah. warriors come out and play <laughs> boom oh first first <laughs> not ko in history right there <laughs> and they all come up and they all they all like take an experimental whack on them like they're not yep. sure what it's going to do exactly right. yeah but they all kind of yeah, want to try it yeah. what an unusual film too you get this this film does not obey the rules of dramatic narrative it doesn't no. obey the the rules of anything really no yeah and then he's going to throw the bone yeah and now we're in in space now that smash cut that you're talking about there that is not just space but that is actually a space weapon apparently uh, that first ship it turns to is mm. a i don't know if it's like a space laser um non-jewish space laser of some kind uh or <laughs> if it's, <laughs> it's a tell or, me tell me exactly what you're seeing right now bro oh, i'm seeing the slightly... bone flip it just smashed yeah okay yeah. great good just smash okay cut. awesome yeah. We might be a few, sounds like you're a few seconds ahead of us, maybe. Yeah, I got, but that's great. Yeah. So yeah, now we're looking at now we're looking at the the planet. You know, yeah, this is, I, I started look, watching this again because we were going to do this, and I had totally forgotten about what they're calling the hay what they call the Haywood Floyd section of the film, which is what we're in now. Right. Um, it, it just sort of I sort of knew it existed, but I couldn't have told you anything about it for whatever reason. Well, there's Floyd and there's Bowman. Yeah, so there's, uh, we're in the Floyd section now. Yes, and if yeah. I'm not mistaken, I saw the actor who played Floyd at, uh, oh, God, oh gosh, what's the name of the theater? This is Great Theater in Washington Heights. Uh, it'll come back to me. Oh, the United Palace, which is this classic old cinema. And he spoke about uh, his performance and working on the movie and everything before they screened it. It was the last film that was screened at the Palace, I think in 1968 or 1969, before they shut it down as a movie house and then oh. reopened it recently. Forever in Manhattan uh, or in New York City, look up the United Palace, Washington Heights. And if they're screening a film, whatever it is, go see it just for the experience of it. It's incredible. And uh, he talked a bit about working on this and a speech that he, that he made that was cut from the film and he recited the speech, which I thought oh, was very impressive because interesting. how many years later are we talking? Yeah. 40, 50 years later, he still right. remembered it. 
Uh, there's a little continuity error that I can point out that he pointed out. Uh, okay. And Kubrick actually covered the continuity error with a little bit of voiceover, which of is course. super uh, clever. <laughs> of course uh, So we'll, I know, at, at the Pan-American moment where Pan-American. suddenly it's like a commercial, oh my gosh, there's commercial space flight. He doesn't have to tell you anything. He's just yeah. showing you. He's just showing yeah, you. and then uh, my my poor friend who had to work on these models was probably tortured. Oh God! Um, so I, again, one little production note that I found to be fascinating. So we're in the floating pen thing, right? Yep. It's it's mm-hmm. and this is a very practical effect. Obviously, this is pre CGI, and that floating pen they accomplished by sticking this pen to a piece of glass, right? And shooting through the glass. So then you can move the glass and move the thing, right? It's a very simple like magician stage trick. However. They stuck it to it with two-sided tape. And what I find fascinating is this is a movie about space travel, right? All mm, what's yeah. coming in the very near future. Two-sided tape had just been invented the year before. <laughs> right. So literally, Kubrick's talking about video calls and you know traveling to space. And li- he's using stuff, two-sided tape, which to me, I, I've assumed it had been around forever. Yeah. It had been invented like the year before. Right. <laughs> Practical yeah. effects guy yeah. for the win. Uh, there's yeah. a there's a new uh, hot new item, Stanley. Yeah, two sided tape. Two sided. I bet yeah. it was from 3M too. Pro- probably a yeah. great Minnesota company. Oh, there you go. I bet. You go. I bet it was. I, I love that he's he's blowing your mind with this convention of something that's recognizable. Mm-hmm. It's a commercial flight, but there are other little nuances in this. He's the only guy on this flight. Yeah, what is up with that? It's almost, well, because it's, it's, right? it's just for him because he's mm-hmm. that important. Oh, it's, right, we need right, to right. immediately send this guy up to the, space, uh, to the station. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got this lovely music and this sort of the waltzing yeah. and they, everybody was so optimistic about space yeah. at this point. Uh, you know, the, you know, the thing to think about too, is important here is uh, the United States hadn't gone to the moon yet. I, Kevin, I know you have other feelings about that. Stanley hadn't yet but. faked the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> but when this movie came out, <laughs> as far as everyone knew, this uh, Russia was winning the space race. Right. The, the, mm. That anxiety, I think, is baked into this a little bit. Right. So how intentional do we think that was? That they released it then? I, you know, I don't know. Well, I, mean, I, I suppose what I'm getting at is the uh, Pan-American versus some oh. sort of pseudo one-world thing in yeah. the context of the space race happening. Yeah, that's you a know, really Do you good... think he's doing that just because he's an American making an American movie in America? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think there probably is something to that. But I will say later on, he's talked, Haywood Floyd is talking to some people. We'll see it here in a few minutes that are Russian. Yeah, they're Russians. But they're also clearly not at his level of importance either. So, yeah, it's hard to say. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Kind of wondering if there's not a propagandistic angle to it. Probably to a certain extent, right? I mean, everybody had a a horse in in the space race, I feel like. Well, Kubrick, it was it was another funny factoid that we came across is that he actually looked. I don't know if he achieved it, but he looked to see if he could get the get the production insured against the possibility that they might. What was it? Land on the moon before he land could on the moon it? and not find anything or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he was thinking about all the angles, mm. and he's doing this thing where he's he's messing with your sense of space. It's spinning in one shot, their level in another. 
Mm -hmm. you're disoriented, but kind of not. And then the music, it's just such a lovely contrast. And the models are, models are incredible. They are incredible. Just gorgeous. They really are. And they, they hold up. It amazingly Mm. holds up. Nothing from 1968 that has a single special effect that it holds up except this movie. That's I mean, there's great, great film. There's great films from that period. I mean, no doubt. But just in terms of, we're so you know, right? We're so inured to to like special effects. If it's not in, completely indiscernible, we don't buy it. And this works. Hmm. And here he is, and she's in the the, the pink, and everything's very right. very funny. And then these yeah. sets are just so cool. Oh, they're great. It's so spacious. The, you know how mm. spacious it is in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine yeah. having that much room in this right. day and age. Oh right? my God. Yeah. You don't have that much room. I don't have that much room. Like you don't, have, most people don't have that much room at their jobs that are on earth. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you work on a cube farm. You don't remember if it was, I don't know if it was this actor. It was one of these actors. I can't, I think it might've been the guy who played Bowman now that I think mm-hmm. about it, but the continuity error is coming up here pretty, pretty soon. So that's kind of fun. Uh, and yeah, and all this gee whiz, these telescreens and all this, and it really, a lot of this stuff has come true. Mm-hmm. Kind of oh, fascinating. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now there, uh, one thing that apparently Kubrick did was he went to some of the major companies like, uh, I think there's a Hilton reference in here yes. and asked them what they thought mm-hmm. what things would be like for them in 2001 to try and get some references. Like there's, yeah, there's the Hilton, this is the Hilton space station apparently, um, those chairs, man, I would kill for one of those chairs. Look how oh, cool yeah. Yeah, here's, here's where the, uh, yeah, Hilton Space Station yeah. 5. I think he calls his daughter first. He does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He stops in and makes a call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Again, is Kubrick's daughter. That's Kubrick's daughter. That's oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Cool little touches. Yeah, the Howard Johnson Earthlight Room. <laughs> Bell telephones, picture phone. Stay it at the Hojo. Yeah. <laughs> But even the sets don't look dated, like even aesthetically, like they, but yeah, he had such an extraordinary sense of design. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. And the costumes and all of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and he's, oh my God, this, this does make me want to barf a little bit. (laughs) He's like sitting there and you get the spinning, uh, is that the moon or the earth? I think that's the earth. Or is that the moon? I'm not sure. I think uh, it looks too white. It looks like it's the moon. To I'm me. thinking mm. that's supposed to be the moon. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like maybe the moon. Yeah. Right. And is she playing with the dog? I don't remember what she's doing. Playing. Yeah. <laughs> playing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very cute. Yeah, but and I think he just this part. I don't know that this is even really setting up much plot. I think this is Kubrick just trying to show a little technologically what might be going on. I don't know if he had like so much of the, so much of the dialogue in this film is like incidental and that doesn't really have that much to do with the plot. You don't, the only lines that you really remember are Hal's. Yeah. When they're Uh, like Hal's plotting against them and they're plotting against Hal later, that dialogue is actually plot relevant, but a lot of it up till then isn't all that important. It's not that it's not important. It's, it's not the exposition isn't happening via dialogue, I guess, is the way that I would say I think it. that's exactly the right way to put it. You know, yeah. it's, it's not setting up anything. It's no. just there. Mm-hmm. It, it's part of the setting itself. Right. You know, the dialogue is the set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which makes it which makes it very real, which makes it very realistic. Um, 
and and you know he's relying on his visual storytelling much more so than his dialogue yeah, I mean, writing. He's fam- you know, famous for that, of course. Yeah, yeah I mean that's he's, he's sort of the master of that. Very interesting though, in terms of the pace, this film of all his other films, this reminds me of Barry Lyndon the most. Really? Well, because yeah. because of the pace. The pace. Uh, here we go. So so there's mm-hmm. the continuity error comes here. There is a see behind her. She's got a sweater on the right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It goes missing. There's like a blue sweater that, there. The blue jacket. I can't remember exactly which one it is, but look for all the jackets because okay, it they disappears. All have, yeah, they all later. have sweaters. There's three of them there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's very very slight, and yeah. uh, the fellow only mentioned it. Um, yeah. Because he and his and wife now, had seen now it. She doesn't oh, have there one. we yep. go. Yep. She oh. doesn't have one. The one on the left doesn't okay. have one anymore. It looks like there two you go. Right. Yeah, and now what they've oh. done is they've written in. So now there's, if you're listening, there's a, a speaker, um, like a voiceover announcer says, oh, we've lost a, a blue shawl or something <laughs> like that. Like he knew he couldn't <laughs> cut it again. Yeah. So yeah. he had to build it in that somehow it just went missing because it was not intentional. That's so, that's so yeah. wild. Like some yeah. sort of hot patch right on your movie. Yep. Yep. Oh yep. my God. And of course in the, in the, the shining, there are all of these unusual continuity errors that are on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not this film. Now here's, here's an interesting bit. So they start talking about Clavius, which is the moon base. Clavius, they are hearing rumors that there's a pandemic there mm. and nobody there's no messages are getting in or getting out and Haywood Floyd's like I don't I don't know any I don't know what you're talking about I have no idea so I think it's just interesting and that's the cover story for the fact that they've discovered the monolith up there which sure. we're gonna see but I just like uh, you know cover story is that there's this deadly pandemic they have to keep separated you know don't ask too many questions yada 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 curious mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Don't love that. <laughs> Don't like that. And of course, this is all in the backdrop of the Cold War. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, so all those anxieties and the idea that the Americans can't quite be forthright with the Russians here and how much trust is there between these nations. And, well, uh, that's the thing is they're all Russians. And she just said something like it's they're not letting our rockets into the Clavius moon base. What's what's mm-hmm. going on? Like why, you know, tell us that, you know, she, she's trying to get the, she's trying to get the real. Yeah, they from denied it. men the permission to land, uh, yeah. which of course would be an extreme yeah. uh, problem. Yeah. And yeah. they've Don't love presumably that. been cooperating up until now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few more of his uh, from the uh, journal. It's June 20th, finished the opening chapter view from the year 2000 and started on the robot sequence. Uh, July 1st, last day working at Time Life, completing Man in Space. Checked into new suite, uh, 1008 at the Chelsea Hotel. July 2nd, and this is Arthur Arthur C. Clarke, his working diary uh, of working on this with Kubrick. Averaging one or 2,000 words a day. Brad, how how many pages is that? It's pretty good, Uh, right? In text is a novel, that's three pages. Uh, A thousand is about three pages. That's a a good day writing. Yeah, that's a good day. Stanley reads first five chapters and says, we've got a bestseller here. (laughs) July 9th, spent spent much of afternoon teaching Stanley how to use the slide rule. He's fascinated. (laughs) Uh, Which (laughs) I love the, I think we might have talked about this before, but I love the idea that he can get distracted with that. Just like throw him a little tool. 
to yeah. weaponize your autism. It's like, <laughs> like point it in a direction, man. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I've got one more, uh, and I will keep coming back to this throughout. Mm-hmm. July 11th, joined Stanley to discuss plot development, but spent almost all the time arguing about Cantor's theory of transfinite groups. Stanley tries to refute the part equals the whole paradox by arguing that a perfect square is not necessarily identical with the integer of the same value. I decide that he he is a latent mathematical genius. (laughs) Guys, work on the movie. Yeah, 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 for real. (laughs) We're just, we're trying to write about the space aliens. And instead we argued about Cantor's theory of transfinite. Well, and isn't that just how it always happens though (laughs) with these types? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm, That's a good point. All right, so now we're going to the moon, which is a different flight. So Haywood Floyd is going to Calavius moon base. Now, Here's where all of the sperm symbolism starts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the moon pod itself. You'll see, we'll see in a moment when it opens up. But first, we're going to get a rundown of all of the gee whiz stuff that's going to go on in space. It feels a little bit like a Disney ride, um, mm. like Disney and Epcot Center in the, in the 90s or the 80s the, or the 90s. They're watching like judo these women he's accompanied by uh comely women the entire on his entire voyage to the moon it's a good point they're pulling Mm. the straws out Mm -hmm. i mean literally not yep right (laughs) pan am (laughs) it's so ironic too right pan american and here we are we're going to Mm -hmm. the moon well and it's a company that's no longer in business too what could be more american brad right right (laughs) You imagine how strict Kubrick must have been on the way that they're walking. I can mm-hmm. only imagine. Right? Just like, do it again. Do it again, Sheila. No, Sheila, listen, you're moving too fast. You got to stop. Mm. Nope. You need to remember, you're in space with Velcro <laughs> shoes. Be deliberate. Right, right. <laughs> this is the only effect that looks a little hokey in the whole movie to me. This one right here, where she's walking in the cir- walking like upside down. How did they do this? I I think they may have actually rotated the set part of the set, like rotated the camera, the set, and the camera in opposite directions. At this point, this is the point where the Robitussin's really starting to kick in. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah where did sheila go uh, right <laughs> oh no oh uh, it does make me a little barfy now that yeah. i watch it again yeah just sort of go like wow yeah and the, so they're in this red room you know there's there's i think there's quite a bit of like birth mm, mm-hmm. sort of symbolism going on the way he's eating this looks unpleasant yeah, you know, I think if that's what it takes to get space travel, I'll deal with it, but yeah. it wouldn't be my first preference. Yeah. I feel like liquids are not an advantage over solids in space. Am I wrong? I wouldn't think I, so, but I I'm no physicist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Read instructions before yeah. he was... <laughs> He's, He is studying them intently. Uh, all right, there's the, a lot. The zero-G toilet. There's 10 paragraphs. I think he that's, gets that's all of this. Pretty, that's pretty funny. He gets all of this humor into it. The left can't meme. Yeah. He gets all of this humor into it. 
Yeah. He has, there's been a ton of little moments of humor already. Mm. These sly little winks. You're not mm. laughing aloud, really. No. That probably got a chuckle in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wonder well, how you know, realistic. There's hardly anything that doesn't get an actual laugh in the cinema, though. That's yeah. I don't know how often you guys actually go to the theaters. I don't super frequently because I don't like watching movies with masses of people. But Okay. Mm. Yeah. People are just bark laughing like seals these the days when there's even a <laughs> shitty throwaway joke. And it's, it's a terrible experience going to a movie oh, theater. Man. Oh, jeez. People got no taste. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just another Marvel movie. Yeah. Hey, man. And just We're all going to be dead itself. and they're, they're going to be rebooting Batman every six months at it's that point. It's just darker and you know? darker and darker. Every if time. I can give you guys just one example, the last movie I did go and see mm-hmm. was the latest Scream film, right? Okay, yeah. And I'm a big fan of Wes Craven. He's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. The movie was very directly an homage to what he'd been trying to do with the original Scream. Yeah. And at one point, one of the characters is directly lampooning that exact sort of person who's demanding a reboot and a remaster every three months. Yeah. And there's a throwaway line about it, and everyone starts hooting and hollering and laughing, but they're the ones that are being very directly made fun of. There was no <laughs> self-awareness. It was terrible. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the characters the talking. Masochism. Yeah. yeah, he was jabbing oh. them, and they just were like, yeah, those idiots. <laughs> Sign yeah, for me. <laughs> All right, so yeah, now we're going to Yeah, go ahead. They're, they're approaching. I love this shot where it's the three astronauts kind of standing around talking and the, the base is in the background. Yeah, that's, that. that's very cool. That's, that's, a cool. that's a cool retro futurist shot. But yeah, we're going to see the little sperma, spermatozoa uh, moon pod enter. Now, look at this port opening up. Jeez, now, is it hot in here or is it yeah. just me? <laughs> <laughs> so I got thinking about like the actual moon symbolism, right? Like what is yeah. what is up with the moon? Oh, hold on. So what is up with the moon? So I, I found like there's all kinds of things. There's moon tarot and there's moon, you know, moon is related to women's menstrual cycles, supposedly. And full moons are when people go crazy. And there's all these there's all these sort of things. Um one thing that I found was pretty interesting is this guy um, uh, who translated the Brothers Grimm's Tales into English. So this old folklorist. Um, and he was saying that in, in like European folklore, the moon, the moon has this relation to the human psyche of rhythm. And he suggested that it goes all the way back in evolution to the tidal pools where life sort of is thought to have originated, right? You have these tidal pools where the tides come in and it's, it's inundated with water and the tides go out and now it's dry and it has this very rhythmic, but also dynamic environment. And so um, he's saying this, this folklorist that it's, it's a deep part of the human psyche, this, this rhythm as being part of life. And so I think there's this like going to the moon because what is the point of even going to the moon? And I'm in like favor generally of like space exploration, if you can do yeah, it. Of course. But like, other than just going, is there something deeper to going to the moon specifically? And I think there is this sort of, there's something about human nature that thinks we're getting out and getting closer to touching the divine or something that we're like this thing that's been at the, the pulse beat of, human life 
we're getting out and we're actually making contact with it in some way. Now, I don't know if it feels like that to Neil Armstrong when he lands because he didn't, right, Kevin? Just <laughs> 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 sigh up. <laughs> no, to but your point, I do mm-hmm. wonder about that specifically, though. Yeah. Because I don't think we have that same association with Mars. Mars is different. For all the people who talk about Saturn and Jupiter and colonizing these other places, it's not the same as when they or we talk about the moon. Right. There's something intrinsically different about it. Yeah. And well, I the moon is ours. The, mm, the moon is ours. Yeah. yeah the moon yeah. is ours. It's in our system. It, it, it influences our life here. And, I, I, and the other planets, of course, do, but in a, uh, a spooky, minuscule movie. way, yeah. you know, relative to the moon. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think there's something. I think there is something kind of profound to the idea, and I think it's. I think Kubrick is probably aware of that. I mean, in certain senses, base is just on the moon because obviously, if we're going to do a space base, we're probably going to put it on the moon. At least in 1968, that would have been the perspective. Um, but yeah, I think there is something. I think there is something kind of profound, and then to go there and find some evidence of somebody else, right? And there's this sort of existential thing behind this, which bears stating it's very clear and simple, but uh, this idea that we all know scientifically that the, the sun will at some point expand and, mm-hmm. and all life on earth as we know it will be eradicated. Yeah. It's, it's hundreds of millions of years hence, but yeah. it's, the, it's the other side of the thing that Kubrick just showed us at the beginning of the film with the mm-hmm. apes. You've got the dawn of man. Well, if you look at the moon, up at the moon and at the stars, you're, you're contemplating the end of man as well. Right. And I think this idea, in a really primitive way, I think we understand that if we can get ourselves onto the moon, if we can terraform the moon, if we can mm-hmm. make the moon habitable, yeah. it means that there's the possibility that we could make the next jump. We've, and the we've next tra- jump. right. We've proven ourselves. We've proven that we can transcend somehow, and it is mm-hmm. it is this like galactically optimistic step, in a way. Indeed. Yeah, well, and that's now exactly the reason we went to the moon in the first place, mm-hmm. right? In actual history, allegedly, you know, it's <laughs> it is just that logical first step. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's a it's like a proof of concept, right? If you can if you can build the base there, Kevin. What do you like? What do you know about Kubrick's supposed involvement in filming the fake moon landing and making uh, that a thing? Very little in yeah. terms of whether it was verified or not. I think that, do you know anything about it? I, a little bit. I mean, it's it's all just rumor and speculation. Yeah, there was a quote-unquote I mean. quote confession video a while ago that turned out to be that was just an actor reading a script about confessing to faking the moon landing. Oh, yeah. You know, um, mm. and, and is that the conspiracy that, you know, it really was Kubrick, of course. There's that. a lot of stuff in The Shining which seems to point at it. If you want to watch Room 237, right, the moon right. is 237,000 something like two, that. Yeah, yeah, miles yeah. away from the Earth. Uh, yeah. Little Danny is wearing an Apollo space uh, like yeah. a sweater, a rocket sweater. Yeah, yeah. There's some, knows? There's, some ta- there's some chatter that he got that he got budget to make this mm-hmm. film in exchange for helping out to fake sure. to fake the moon landing. I don't doubt that some of the footage was staged. I that's my well, going so theory. So that's mm-hmm. the dismissal point. Whenever anyone wants to tell us, obviously it happened, right? Right. You know, of course, they needed be real for this, that, and the other stuff. Or there's parts where they just couldn't get any actual footage, so they had to do this instead. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that's a really cheap dismissal of moon it, truth it. Really doesn't. Reason. 
Yeah, yeah it really yeah, doesn't agreed. make any sense that you would drag a camera along uh, on the on the mission either. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't add up. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I I lean into I lean into thinking we probably did go, but also not not you know I'm not a hundred percent convinced because it seems to me that as time goes on, probably the whole 20th century was a psyop. So you know, I'm maybe. firmly in that camp myself. <laughs> the 20th century and the early portions of the 21st have just been one big yeah. seething mass of really cheap propaganda that's been legitimized. Yeah. So if that was that was real, ten other things that I, you know, I think are real were, were fake. So who you know. Uh, I've got no hill. There's right, very few right, hills right, I want to right, die right. on. You know, definitely but. landed on the moon. <laughs> right, Michael Jordan never existed. Right, yeah, right. Like I don't right, who knows, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which you got to pick <laughs> one of the two. So you can't take away Air Jordan. Right. <laughs> something I think about in regards to this, though, you guys knowing a little bit more about Kubrick himself. Yeah. What are the odds that he was planting some of that stuff as bait for people? like that though people inclined to my sort of thinking he might have been doing that to just mess sort of mess with people or he could have been trying to make a confession that he felt bad about faking this whole thing it's really yeah it's very it's very gotta watch two three seven it really makes a case it's very it it does make a pretty convincing Mm -hmm. case i agree yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and he would have been the guy to do it i mean he was clearly the you know He'd have been the guy if you were going to say anything. This film alone is proof of concept. We can, we can, and then you have to remember too that when they, let's assume they faked the landing uh, yeah. with the footage, whether they landed yeah. or not. Let's assume that a lot of the footage was staged, if not all of it. Uh, nobody was screening that footage on a giant screen. Right. Everybody was screening right. it on these tiny yeah. little crummy tvs that are yeah. blurry do you remember watching tv in the 80s or the yeah. 90s like your yeah. little rear project you know yeah so it was a lot easier yeah it was a lot easier to pick well here's the thing here's the thing too if the moon landing was if we did land on the moon okay let's just for a second suppose that we did the reasons are all fake right so the whole reason that they budgeted for it and did all that was to beat the russians in a in a propaganda in a propaganda campaign so even if it did technically happen, the socio-political, you know, Kennedy stood up and was like, we got to do this and the other thing to do the hard thing because it's hard, you know. Right, right, right. Literally, he was saying we have to beat communism. And so we right. got to send people to, to the moon, which maybe is a, right, is a good cause. That's not even a disagreement. But the whole, where does the fakery start and end is, is that's where yeah. the debate is. Right, it's like, right, where does right. the boundaries of that land so what are they? They're eating their uh, their sandwiches on the way to the yeah. So they're going to go see the scene in which there's another monolith. Um, so yeah, is there anything to it? We think that they're eating solid food now. We talked a, about that earlier. Yeah, that's a well because they're point. they have gravity now, right? So they do they do have gravity, but very yeah. slight, right? Because it's moon gravity. Yeah, I think that that is it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not entirely clear to me why Gosh, that would be. The, colors of the shot are great yeah that's yeah, really the, you know, the blues and the red. yellow and the red it's so good yeah yeah so but but again we're seeing a lot of that sort of that was a little bit of exposition because it's like hey we're gonna go see this thing but mostly he's like oh you got a sandwich you got a ham sandwich in there 
oh, well, I'll take a ham sandwich. That sounds good. You know, it's very like. Oh, these sandwiches are getting better. <laughs> right. oh. Coffee? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do, they do still talk like more like people in the 60s, mm-hmm. right? It looks like it could be now or the future or whatever, but they still talk like guys in the 60s. It sounds more like a Twilight Zone episode when they talk than it does a episode of, you know, whatever. You know, I'm glad they decided to do that, though, instead mm-hmm. of trying to make up a bunch of slang and right. project <laughs> right. forward how we were going to be talking. <laughs> right. Because for an audience in this day and age, that would, would absolutely ruin it. That's a good point. It would have just sounded like a farce. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard about that red pill, Johnny? All the kids are talking about it. (laughs) I don't know what they mean. Yeah. I don't take any pills. The only pills I take are for my nerves, Johnny, from the war. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so cool. So one thing that they, one thing he says in here is he mentions that the monolith appears to have been deliberately buried. And I thought that was an interesting a okay these are aliens putting it here i think that's pretty clear why are the aliens burying it what's the point of burying it rather than just having it stand out but then also um there's something spooky about that a little bit like since this movie came out we discovered in turkey gobekli tepe Mm -hmm. and gobekli tepe and a few other monuments similar none of them are at quite the scale of gobekli tepe those were all deliberately buried and so what is this impulse to like take these important things and bury them? Well, the concept really behind the question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I have an answer okay. in terms of 2001. The concept is that the monolith is de- deliberately buried on the moon so that when humanity becomes mm-hmm. a spacefaring race mm-hmm. species uh, and uncovers it, it sends a signal, which is about what what's about to happen. Yeah, it sends yeah, a signal right. to the originator of the back to the, whoever and back the to knowledge. them saying they're they've awakened. Right now, yeah. okay, okay. Now this was the big key in the original short story that this film came from, uh, called the Sentinel, which Arthur C. Clarke's idea. It was the germ of an idea because Stanley Kubrick bought like six short stories, the rights to six short stories from Arthur C. Clarke. The Sentinel was one of them. He sold the rest of them back to him. Um, and that was the whole thing was that the society, alien society had set up these waypoints. As you would. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see these violent ape-like creatures on <laughs> earth and you got to contain yeah. them. But, but however, they're the ones who encouraged us to do it right in the plot mm. of the film. Like, I, I suppose you could say that they didn't know what was going to happen when they, they dropped so, the monolith on us. That gets into the whole thing behind so many different theories of alien contact, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it, there's so many theorists out there and so many UFO heads who want to talk like this, that we were groomed by an alien species to become what we are. Right. And it's, it's I don't know. Just with my background, I don't necessarily believe that as fun as it is to play with the idea. Yeah. But it Yeah. I don't even know where I was going with that. But I'm I'm more of the I'm more convinced that if we're in con any contact with aliens, they're not traveling here physically. I am also extremely partial to the ultra terrestrial hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. That you so I suppose you... what I'm really getting at is why would they leave way markers 
for an inherently violent species. Right, right. Don't find us <laughs> unless it's to to come kill. You know, like, like they right. got out of their cage. It's time yeah. to get tamped yeah. on that issue. Would be I mean, the one thing. Right, know? right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it does make you think yeah. about these. Like they're gonna land. The first thing you're gonna see is Lizzo. Lizzo. <laughs> gonna... <laughs> and just clap and just stand and clap <laughs> yeah that's what'll happen brave <laughs> stunning and brave and there we go with the touching of the monolith yeah again. you've got to yeah, make right. contact with this in 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 it's again it's the same thing the apes did three million years before right trying to convince yourself it's real um yeah and even even now the perfection of the monolith mm-hmm. still with all the technology and all the things that we've seen, it still blows their minds. It does. Absolutely. Nothing like this, nothing, the, the dimensions of it. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah. this perfect sort of strange thing. They're all drawn to, mm-hmm. to it. And of course mm-hmm. then it shrieks, which is when it sends its oh, signal. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very difficult noise to cope with even listening to it in the, in the, yeah. in the film. Yeah, and he takes this picture of him in front of it, right? Oh, I love this gesture. He says, oh, get closer, get closer. Okay, we're going to take a photo. Something mm. charming about that. They're human beings. Ooh. All right. And then the sound, oh. oh. In their minds, they've discovered evidence of alien life here as well. Mm-hmm. Ah, there it is. Oh, the high-pitched beeping. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Say it ain't so. <clears throat> I'll tell you what. I had a black monolith experience, Kevin. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it was a black pyramid uh, under the influence of uh, um, jungle hallucinogens. Okay, uh, all right. I had a okay. I had a, a mild tall black pyramid dropped on my head. Okay, and I'll tell okay. you what, it was a comparable life experience to what the Australopithecus experienced. So that's part of my ultra terrestrial <laughs> agreement with the ultra terrestrial uh, theory as well. Um, yeah, things can, ha- mm. things can happen in your head that uh, are mm. equivalent to discovering a monolith um, when you Indeed. wake up in your backyard. In you know, I had a uh, buddy submit a listener story to my podcast mm. about seeing a black monolith himself off in Whoa. the distance driving late one night. Whoa. And it's very clear that this thing was not actually there. Whoa. But he was fully awake. You know, he wasn't asleep at the wheel dreaming yeah. or nothing. Right. He was just sitting there on the horizon. Whoa. And between this film, that story, your experience, yeah. it makes me wonder, what is it about that symbol that triggers in the human mind, right? right. What is it about that obsidian black, per- geometrically mm-hmm. perfect shapes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there, it's... There's something there. It's like... M- condensed mystery itself or something it's like the ur symbol my iphone increasingly yeah. looks like the monolith yes yeah it's why you gotta put a case on it to make it look cute instead of <laughs> menacing and how like oh yeah i have my uh, my anime waifu here is on my <laughs> right i think yeah. this is the actor who i saw speak uh yeah is this bowman this is the guy who plays bowman yeah I this is bowman yeah, yeah. I, I have a few more Entries from Arthur C. Clarke's diary while they were working on 2001. July 12th, now have everything except the plot. Uh, <laughs> good. Easy. Easy work, easy work from there. Good job. Least important part, right? <laughs> yeah, who needs it? July 13th, got to work again on the novel and made good progress despite the distraction of the Republican convention. Hmm. Those Republicans ruining everything. 
<laughs> July 26th, Stanley's birthday. Went to the village and found a card showing the earth coming apart at the seams and bearing the inscription, how can you have a happy birthday when the whole world may blow up at any minute? <laughs> July 28th, Stanley, what we want is a smashing theme of mythic grandeur. August 1st. I think they nailed it. Yeah. August 1st, as as Bowman does his little shadow boxing. And I love this, these these sarcophagi. Oh, and then we we meet Hal here for the first time. That shot is incredible. The reflection of Bowman is reflected in the eye of Hal. That's an incredible shot. And we have that red which is echoed from before. It echoes the all of the um cockpits yeah uh, yeah which is very who's in control right i've got to read one more august mm-hmm. 1st ranger 7 impacts on the moon stay up late to watch the first tv close-ups stanley starts to worry about the forthcoming mars probes suppose they show something that shoots down our storyline this is what i was talking about earlier later yeah. he approaches lloyd's of london to see if he could insure <laughs> himself against this eventuality <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. it would be Lloyd's of London too, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, they will they insure, insure everything, yeah. right? They'll sh- they, they insure like Elizabeth Hurley's legs or something. I'll allow it. Uh, <laughs> you know, one cool thing about this set, another kind of production note too, is they actually built a big centrifugal room that spun. That was part of how they accomplished some of these shots where yeah, he's running cool. around the room, right? It's very neat. Was this done at... Um... What's the name of the studio? Something Wood in London. Where oh, I don't know shot? where it was shot, where the studio yeah. was actually. There's a famous uh, studio like 50 minutes yeah. an hour outside of London. Yeah. I went out there once. The studio. Yeah. Now, note too, they made this shot. look like a tap. They made this look like a tablet. It doesn't move. So it's just a screen built into the table, but they made it look like it was like a iPad basically. Yeah. Yeah. It it was shot 2001 a space odyssey was shot at Shepperton Studios filming began in late 65 and continued for 2 years allowing plenty of time for the movie's revolutionary visual effects to be developed. Wow. Amazing. Given the scale the film also inhabited stages at MGM, Boromwood and Elstree. Hmm. Kubrick himself took on the mantle of special photographic effects designer and director something that would win him an Oscar. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah. Shepperton Studios. I don't know where that is. Anyway, get going. One thing I want to point out that from a writer's standpoint that I was really impressed with is when he does, Kubrick is trying to accomplish some exposition, how it's done. So the interview with these guys, if you made this, people made this movie now, the interview would be diegetic to the scene, right? It would be happening as a scene. But instead we get the crew watching it while they in a very boring manner, eat their dinner, mm. watch an interview of themselves that gives us a lot of the necessary exposition of the mission, right? So he's juxtaposing this like mm. this this sort of importance, this monumental historic thing that's happening that they're part of with the banality of eating like cafeteria slop. Literal know? slop. Those Literal are slop. Yeah. Nutrient bricks. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I hyper fixating on the food for some reason and i'm not sure why i'm doing it but they have had sandwiches they've oh, had that, liquid paste and now this yeah that green stuff looks awful right that looks yeah he whatever was in this third one from the left though he cleaned, he cleaned that up pretty good so shepperton <laughs> studios is at pinewood which is what i was trying to remember okay. Pinewood, okay. which is the big big studio facility uh in the uk okay yeah. okay so probably a lot of other 
big films. Oh, lots of things sure. were yeah were have been yeah. shot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Huh. Hal yeah. thousand. Hal, here we go. And of course, Hal is uh, IBM, just with the letters mm-hmm. moved one over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, what is it? Hermetic. What's it supposed to be? Hermeneutic analytic, I think, is what it stands heuristic for. Heuristic something, he- I think. Heuristic, yeah. yeah, heuristic analytic is what Hal's supposed to stand for. Analytic. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's another. And of course, Hal, the shape of Hal echoes the uh, um, the monolith. It does. Yeah, it's yeah. heuristically programmed algorithmic computer. Okay, okay, there we go. Oh, yeah. and that's coming from the Robot Hall of Fame, robothalloffame.org. Ah. Hey, powered by <laughs> Carnegie Mellon and uh, uh, Hal 9000. I'm going to read this. The okay. Hal 9000. Is a non-human and central character in the film by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, 2001: A Space Odyssey. As the brain of the spaceship Discovery, Hal is a robot that uses the mechanical sensing and information systems under its control. Hal is an acronym standing for Heuristically Programmed Algorithmic Computer. Heuristic and algorithmic are two primary processes of intelligence. How would you define what heuristics is, Brad? Isn't heuristics like? Uh, sort of narrative around problem solving like the narr- the the sort of narrative you use to de- to to solve a problem yeah it's the definition is mental shortcuts that can facilitate problem solving and probability okay. judgment yeah, yeah a heuristic is when you just set up something that works as for 80% of things to cut down on the mental math you okay. have to do to get somewhere. Okay. Yeah. That makes no, sense. They're not designed to be perfect or hard rules or anything. Right. Right. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So that would be like rules of thumb would be a heuristic. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. And they're eating more of their slop and they're watching yeah. their iPads right. and, right. uh, yeah, now here's an interesting. Do you believe that Hal has genuine emotions? They, World News Tonight asks Bowman, and he acts like he has genuine emotions, but he's programmed that way so we can deal with him, which I think is really interesting, right? That's the motivation to give him emotions. So us human beings can actually, you know, not cope with Hal's can cope perfection. with it and not kill it, basically, mm. right? <laughs> right, because they're all yeah. stuck in space with it. And of course, yeah. Hal's listening to everything. Mm-hmm. Now, talk about a spermatozoa. Look at this ship. <laughs> yeah it looks i mean this my boys looks, can swim yeah <laughs> it looks as good or better than star wars the first ones right oh for sure yeah probably yeah. better I would obviously say better. star wars yeah pulls from this yeah 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 there's nothing in science fiction that comes after that doesn't really yeah the only thing the only thing that makes this dates this movie really is they the way they speak also the shorts shoes socks combo that he's wearing right here (laughs) also the man's physique (laughs) this was considered this is like a this guy is a 10 this guy is cut for 1960s (laughs) (laughs) and he's got like little you know yeah. yeah yeah you gotta feel like that they had an easier time of it don't you they, they probably didn't have to work out the same well, way. Is this where yeah. we start talking about seed oils and the consequences yeah. <laughs> of the food pyramid? That's right. They never should have banned smoking, man. That was when it well, all came that's down. That's my bugaboo, and I hold that position very seriously. 
<laughs> now, as far as I'm concerned, smokers are the most oppressed race on the planet. But- <laughs> it's, true. it's true. It's true. Nobody's sticking up for them either. Yep. No, then they, they just took Philip Morris and company just took the market to China. That's all that was. Ah, well, that's smart of them. Yep. They made more money after the bans and everything in the U.S. Uh, they didn't need the market anymore. Good for that. Well, good for them, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> he's got these funny uh, red uh, goggles. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's in a sun lamp probably, right? Hmm. Oh, that would make sense, right? He's my guess. Yeah. Getting his vitamin D. Yeah. And most of the crew here, of course, are asleep. And yeah. 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 Hmm. Now, I think the, the, so it's his birthday, it's his birthday. And then he gets wished a happy birthday also by Hal, which is kind of depressing. Um, happy birthday, Frank. Yeah. Depressing <laughs> yeah. or creepy. Yeah. A little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I mean, just from my own perspective, I feel like that's not, it feels like it's supposed to be somehow scary. You know, I think that's an mm-hmm. attempt to kind of intimidate the audience. Look yeah. at what this knows about them. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then this chess move here, too, where Hal's clearly, yeah, Hal's clearly smarter than, than him. Which, oh, I, I mean, you know, in 2022, I'd expect the computer to kick my ass playing chess, like, you know, if it wants to. Yeah, when I go to chess.com and try and play some games, I got to set it to easy. Yeah me, yeah, me too. Yeah, or else I'm getting trounced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a, oh, and of course, Kubrick was a giga fan of chess. Right. Uh, so that was probably unsettling to him, the idea that a computer, that's maybe why he put it in there. If you think yeah. about he, it. He had a little, a little chess computer. Uh, oh, did, did yeah as a kid yeah. Yeah. one of those where it would just like little lights would light up and yeah. yeah if you ever get a chance to see the exhibition that goes around of Kubrick's stuff his things don't miss that uh, I had the good fortune to see that in London I think in 2019 in the before times uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they tour that and bring it to Manhattan at some point bring it to yeah. New York mm-hmm. yeah there's another great um chess playing computer scene in one of the other top science fiction movies of all time which is the thing yeah where kurt russell's character is playing chess against the computer and it beats him and he pours jameson in it and starts smoking and he says cheating bitch <laughs> that's one of my favorite one of my favorite moves <laughs> I, I love that he he has he does these drawings and he starts to show and now we see here through hal's right. eye this yeah. fisheye lens yeah 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 what a move what a what a creepy move, by well, the way. Well, the fisheye lens is it's distorting, but it's also showing us that he sees more than you do as a person, mm-hmm. I think, right? It's, it's a little bit panopticani, even though mm-hmm. it's not seeing everything through that one eye, but panopticani. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Pan, nice pan, one. Uh, panopticon-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's the German. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now Hal starts putting forward these suspicions about this mission, which is interesting to me because it's like the mission is they're going to Jupiter space because that signal, they, they, I think they heard another, uh, an echo of that signal, the mm. monolith signal out there, yeah. but 
the crew doesn't know that. These two guys don't know that. They they think this is just another part of the normal progression of of space travel or space exploration. They don't know about this monolith signal. It's just occurring to me the uh, how incredible it is for Kubrick and for, for Arthur C. Clarke to achieve this great character in Hal just out of a series of little boxes and a voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty amazing. There's no other character in cinema quite like Hal. No. Do you think that we even have the skilled directors and designers and do we have the film technology to make that character again? Hmm. You know, I don't know that we have on CGI hmm. effect. Yeah. Like we do. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that we have the writers. It's yeah. the it's the writing paired with the the totality of the vision. Mm-hmm. The uh, you know a great writer like Arthur C. Clarke, a visionary matched with another visionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film like this comes along once in a generation. I think. I think the tendency now, one of the powers of this film and this part of the film, the hell sequence, is the how willing Kubrick was to be patient and banal. It's so, I know people complain that it's slow, but that's because Hal is playing this very patient chess game with them. And so he has to say, Hey, you know, this seems kind of suspicious, this whole mission. Oh, you know what? I think I've got a fault in the antenna unit. Like it's very, I think now the tendency would be to like hit, you know, he would say there's a fault in the A35, an A35 unit, and there would be like a heavy piano chord. You know, yeah, they'd already be running. Music. They'd already be right. racing against time. Just right. trying yeah. way too hard with it. I think yeah, I think, I think that's a big, I think that's a big part of what, what makes this, this movie work. There's no intention span anymore. That's, the, that's they exactly would, it would never get made because of the, the last movie that maybe is as, has this whiff of slowness that I can think of is like, big kind of tent not tent pole but a big movie would maybe be dunkirk yeah, dunkirk had a quality dunkirk of kind patient. of measured sort of mm-hmm. slowness to it yeah mm-hmm. but still nothing like this yeah you know and it's crazy to me because we can make three hour long superhero movies <laughs> and no one can sit through the what two and a half hours of this yeah, yeah. it's because they're getting they're getting the dopamine hit every you know four seconds or whatever and there's all these right. gotcha gags right you know, man, we got to get people back on yeah, the robots. See, if they would, if they, <laughs> if they were making this now, they would have had to do that MCU thing where there's like, like a little. If there's not action, there has to be a little joke all the time, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and not a, not a, not a joke like reading the lavatory instructions, but like, uh, you know, like, here's your ham-handed throwaway line. Yeah, exactly. And everybody goes, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. yeah, those films are just. I mean, the movies are totally tested and tested in front of the audiences and edited and recut and scenes shot and re yeah 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 oh and then i love this then the shift to the uh the sort of the red suit where he's going to be going outside he's going down that white that white Mm -hmm. hall is that's such a such a cool shot the composition and the colors of that is so intense i love these little these uh sort of pods Mm-hmm. He's going to be, he's actually going to go take a spacewalk with one of these. Yeah. Yeah. Live in the pod. <laughs> I won't do it. Kevin. Make the movie. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. What is up with the different colored suits? Seems weird, doesn't it? Well, there's there's got to be something to it, right? There's rank a, or something, or Kubrick probably you would something more to it. Maybe. Well, I mean, that's I, what I'm, it, I'm mm, sure there's mm. something more to it. It's got to be more than just yeah. rank or cast on the ship. Yeah, yeah. Well, these are clearly the suits for spacewalks. So my guess is that they would be brightly colored so they could so stand out them? against the rest. Yeah. yeah, that would be my yeah. guess. Just the no, practical. Right. Uh, but is trying to say something with it? Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? That this one shot of this little meteorite <laughs> just lonely floating through space. It's just That's like, oh, there's another one. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Totally wild. And but that without saying a word, he shows you the risk. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, yeah, this, this is, is not empty. There. There's stuff going on out there. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about the whole pace of this this whole scene, it's shot at very close to what I think would be the time it would take to do what they're doing, right? Mm. You get it, you walk into the room, you get into the pod, the pod bay door opens, you mm. go out, of, like every, he's not cutting any of it. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And so it's just so, it's so, it's so methodical. And I think there's something, I think there's something that's really well accomplished when you're this patient and this methodical, any little seed of doubt or weirdness or sinisterness is, stands out, right? Mm. Every little bit of dialogue is, feels significant. Every little gesture that seems a little off feels significant. And we've already been trained to recognize that like motion isn't quite the way that you expect it to be in space. So the mm-hmm. implication here is that they're jettisoning. They, they've, they've been jettisoned toward Jupiter. They're going at pace here. Right. Right. So they're flying through, but you have no sense of perspective here. Mm-hmm. It's just this little pod against the, the ship itself. And then of course this antenna that's pointed back to earth. Yeah. And what happens if they do lose communication with earth? Right. That's the, those are the stakes right now. And it's not really been stated. No, no, it's not. And part of it is because these two guys, you can, they're implying throughout how well-trained they are, right? How emotionally mm-hmm. stable they are. The guy's jogging, you know, they're, they're very, mm-hmm. they're watching a news report of themselves. They don't have any reaction to it. He's getting happy birthday messages from his parents. No, they don't. They're like what we always thought astronauts were supposed to be like was like, you know steady right right nothing's mm. gonna rattle this person nothing raises their heart rate as opposed to the ones we really have where they'll fly in a rage and punch fans for questioning them, right. right that's right that's right <laughs> yeah yeah oh man yeah and oh and he, he really is gonna go on a walk which is just like yeah the stakes are so high and yep. he's out there all on his own yeah which is interesting. Yeah. Oh. And seeing this in the cinema as well, like a big screen in an old movie theater. Just- Apparently they filmed, they, they projected originally on Cinescope, which was like it, the screen slightly, it was like the original IMAX, the screen slightly bent around you. So you can oh. imagine watching it in like a, you know, kind of an immersive environment. It's crazy. Well, and it became a, like a cult hit with the youth, right? It got panned mm-hmm. a little bit. It, it, the reception was mixed. 
Uh, yeah, there were then, some reviews that thought it was pretentious. Sure, sure. Yeah. Which, <laughs> wee! Yeah. And then, yeah, right. Then the hippies found it. Right, right. I mean, what more, what other bit of cinema in the mid 60s could you grab that would be quite as trippy as this? There's nothing. I mean, there are the maybe whole, equals like Mountain El Topo or whatever. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The Holy Mountain, like stuff like that. But boy, this is right up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, partially it came out of Kubrick thought that there were no good science fiction movies. A good science fiction film had not been made yet, which by his standards might be true. That's in 1968. Well, you know, how many truly great science fiction movies have there even been? Period. Yeah, there's like there's a lot I like, but as Mm -hmm. far as masterpieces go, right? It's yeah, it is few. It is few and far between. Jason X. (laughs) Well, now see, perfect example of one I love, but would you call it a masterpiece? (laughs) I thought that movie was a banger. I love that movie. Rocks. Yeah, that movie rocks. I'm not seeing. Well, what I mean, Alien is uh, Alien certainly legitimate. Aliens too, legitimate. Aliens what are some good. What are some others that you would say? Man, you know, I watched great the, science fiction. The new Dune film is up there. Uh, I think. Yep. Uh, yeah. Mm, all right. Kevin disagrees. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> he can disagree as much as he wants. It's okay yep. to be wrong. Hiss. Hiss. Yeah, it is. It's one of those funny genres where, and it's like horror too, where you know it's there's a thin layer of great movies yeah. and then uh, it falls off pretty precipitously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look and, up what, mm-hmm. and my favorite movies, my, my, the, the science fiction movies that I respect the most are sort of almost not even science fiction movies. children of men, which I think people consider science fiction. It's not really even science fiction. Stalker. 12 monkeys is pretty good. 12 monkeys. Stalker is a fantastic yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, what else is out there? Um, I thought Annihilation was pretty great, personally. See, now I haven't seen that one. It's, it's been recommended good. to me a whole bunch of times, but it's, it's pretty good. It's better than the book. It's a few rare cases better than the book, in my opinion. See, we're back in the fisheye now, and they're was, yeah, this trying trouble, to... this troubleshooting thing they're doing. Right, they're searching each circuit, and it's like broadcasting it on their little. It's very. It's very such a cool effect. Yeah. yeah. And then Hal uh, has to admit that he made a mistake uh, or doesn't sort, admit it. But, sort, yeah, you know. he sort of says, hey, Hal's don't mess up, man. That's, your, that's human error. Humans did something. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going through the all-time. They put the, this list puts the Matrix higher than 2001. Uh, that's insane. Uh, that's man. insane, these clickbaits. <laughs> I mean, you, you, got, you got Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, Blade, I mean, Blade Runner's great. Sure. Banger, yep. Blade Runner 2049 is top-notch also in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, it is. so it's my turn to eat shit. I didn't enjoy 2049 very but, much. Ah, <laughs> it was all right. Ah, <laughs> I thought it was trying way too hard to be pretty uh, at the expense no. of everything else. Okay. And it was very pretty. It was pretty. Yeah, it was definitely something nice to look at. This list puts a clockwork orange in under sci-fi. I don't know. I don't agree with that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a strange genre because it's this bucket for for right. uh, everything. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. No, Clockwork Orange is like speculative, but not 
I don't consider it science fiction. Uh, this list does put 2001 all the way at the top. So, okay. All right. Respect. Respect. There you go. Yeah, here's what it says about the movie. Stanley Kubrick's 1968 epic existentialist art house addition to the space exploration genre may be light on actual story. Well, read the book. Yeah. But it's yeah. way high on hypnotic splendor, standing tall as one of the major artistic works of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Divided into four main parts, the apes, Haywood Floyd's mission to the moon, the Discovery One's Jupiter flight, which we're in now, and yep. the LSD finale. The film's plot, in an extreme nutshell, is about an alien monolith that is discovered by astronauts and how it leads to a close encounter of the third kind and beyond. Oh, it's also about the evolution of man from ape to something else. Yeah. 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 It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I love this conversation that they're having. They have this conversation with Hal trying to figure out, okay, well, what happened? Because Hal had predicted that this, there was a fault in the, this unit, he'd said it was going to fail in 72 hours. And it was a totally reliable number. turns out there's nothing wrong with it. So they're like, Hey man, what's, what's going on here? And Hal blames humans says it's human error. They tested against another, they tested against another Hal back at base. And this mm-hmm. Hal didn't predict that fault. So this is where I'm wondering guys, do you think Hal made a mistake or this is intentional strategy on Hal's part? What's going on? I with think this? it's extremely intentional when it's yeah. matched up against the rest of the film. Okay. But... Yeah, I do. I do too. But it's sort of like, is he doing, is his chess move so far ahead that he knows this is going to hit them against him? I'm not sure what he, how thinks he's going to get accomplished with this. There's, I can't precisely recall the book, uh, but my reading of it right now would be something to the effect of, uh, there's, it's possible that Hal has some information that they don't have because didn't you say earlier that they don't know that um, they, they don't know where they're going Hal they has, don't know that Hal has heard rumors right which is interesting right. and so well because that could it be that Hal is picking up a signal that they're not hearing oh that uh, could be that could be you know you've got this yeah. giant satellite on the back of this uh, ship that Hal essentially is the ship right uh, so yeah yeah unclear it's unclear but that's that's the beauty of the film yeah i think it i think it is i I think it is part of a more a more long-term plan but hal doesn't know yet that this convert that this conversation is going to happen this is the this is this is the most this is about to have the most plotty moment of the entire film right and it's so eerie when you realize that he's reading their lips Mm -hmm. and they're trying to hide Mm -hmm. from the ship that they're in Mm -hmm. right yeah Mm -hmm. and in alien they call the ship mother and of course that that all goes back to to hal and there's hal's creepy eye yeah (laughs) yeah 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 it's very it's very unsettling it happens, the turn happens so suddenly. Yeah. From, ah, gee whiz, we're exploring outer space <laughs> to, ah, the, this ship trust might want to. ship. Yeah. 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 Well, what does that stand in for, for a metaphor? The I mean, internet. That, yeah, the internet. <laughs> well, I don't know if Kubrick would have read it, but there was always the Eighth Tower by John Keel, right? I don't know and that. What's Art of Eighth? What is that? The uh, whole thesis was it was him really exploring his Fordian 
he was always a 40 and he was of the 40 in school of investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, why are frogs falling from the sky? What explains all these bizarre phenomenon? And then use really exotic theories to make people think about what the result was. Mm-hmm. But the eighth tower itself was the idea that some sort of alien intelligence, not extraterrestrial alien, but alien as an unknowable, right? Mm-hmm. Was sending us information through psychedelic experience, through dreams, mm-hmm. through all these other uh, non-physical interfaces so that we would build it. You know, it's a mm-hmm. sort of, it's a not fat brain, uh, <laughs> Rocco's basilisk sort of thing. Right, 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 you right. Know, like what if that theory wasn't a bunch of pretentious pseudo-intellectual <laughs> posing? Right, right. And Interesting. So it's called the eighth monument, you said? Uh, the eighth tower. Eighth tower. I think there's got there's been so many people throughout history who have claimed to get these kinds of downloads one way or another. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about Philip K. Dick uh, next month on our on our show, um, and he, I mean, he had that download. If anybody did, he had. But all, throughout history, you've got these people repeatedly, yeah. right? And so you know what? It, yeah, what is that? And and. I think it gets um, explained away much, much to uh, much to uh, kind of my disappointment and you know the detriment of everybody. I think sure people are you know? way too dismissive of it. I'm yeah. not saying that there's a literal library of the soul, some akashic records stuff, yeah. but there's it, some sort of phenomena there. It does seem to be that people can get information from outside for for sure, and so. Yeah, yeah, the the Rocco's Basilisk thing is is funny. I think I think it's funny that you call it fat break because it is sort of a creepy pasta. Uh, yeah, but also, and people will say like, if, if, as soon as you hear about Rocco's Basilisk, you'll never be able to sleep again or whatever. Why? Um, because some robot in the future is going to punish me for not giving it my power, buddy. Right. I already believe in angels and demons. What's right. this thing? Yeah, gonna what do? are you going to do to me? Well, there is a thing where there's a sort of like the 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 Reddit AI atheist types will yeah. reverse engineer religion all the time, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like what simulation theory is. It's like, uh-huh. bro, did you know the Gnostics were talking about the exact same thing two thousand years ago? So nothing, you know. You just you just made that person have a keyboard and a micro and a, and a mouse. <laughs> That's the only the only difference that you made. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, now I forgot. There's an intermission in this. You movie. know, and as much oh. as I don't want to bow out, I need to actually head to work here. Hey, okay. somebody's got to do it. Oh yeah, That's we all right. No, really Dexter, that was great, man. It's really uh, good to do this with you. We'll send you the uh, the file after, and you can yeah. put this out wherever you yeah. want. Uh, do you want to you want to throw in your plugs? Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, sure. So just for the timeline earthers who are watching this, please stick around. Please hear what the guys have to say about the rest of this. Uh, For anyone who's not in my audience but wants to listen to my cut of it, it'll be on the Timeline Earth podcast feed under the tag Scarlet Thread Society. It'll be very easy to find. Look for the release at the end of the month. Cool. Awesome. All right, Dexter. That was so much fun, man. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you, guys. We'll bring this on home. Don't work too hard, man. I wouldn't dare. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. You're good. Yeah. And we are the Art of Darkness. I'm Kevin Kautzman. This is my partner in crime, Brad Kelly. We are at artofdarkpod.com, patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Every episode we do, we do an extra 20 or 30 minutes at the end. 
we're going to sit here uh, in the dark. And that that's for uh, <laughs> After Dark. Those episodes are for the Patreon <laughs> subscribers. Please support the show if you enjoy what we're doing. We've never done this episode, this type of episode no, before. it's not our usual uh, thing. We're going to release really. it. I, yeah. I think we could do a couple of watch-alongs I, I a think year. It's I think it's fun to do. Yeah, yeah man. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Back it up with a little yeah. bit of we'll always be doing. We'll always be doing the core episodes. You know, what? why people come started listening to us. We'll always be doing those. But, uh, you know, fun little thing like this every once in a while it's fun for us and hopefully it's fun for other people too always be coring oh. on art of dark pod <laughs> who's who's up next we're doing we've got somebody on wednesday with hagulian right yeah hagulian's coming back um to we're gonna talk about robert aikman who's uh the author I don't know, of yeah. i don't know anything about robert i'm not even gonna tell you anything just wipe it yeah robert aikman i don't know you know dude. who he is he's yeah. an author yeah uh, yeah. Okay, that's that's all yep. you need to know. Yeah, we're doing we're doing him, and then um, I, I don't think it's spilling the beans too much to say that we're going to have James Ellis, the host of the Great Hermetics podcast, um, and uh, who just had a book come out actually. So we'll get to talking about that a little bit. Also, he's doing a um, series on that my favorite book of all time, Meditations on the Tarot, for Patreon. Um, I think it's half Patreon, half free. He's coming on. We're going to talk, do an, a darkroom episode on G.I. Gurdjieff. Um, ah, the great who famously said, "Man is food for the moon." Perfect. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Theremin, Q theremin yes. noises. What's it mean? <laughs> I was thinking about it earlier. I'm okay. Well, we man is food. food. What is that mean? Maybe we are. I, food I dude, I literally we we're driving. Ah, we're night. back. I saw the full moon. I thought the same thing. We're food for the moon. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and Dexter's great. That was fun. We've got to oh, have him on for a darkroom episode. We'll find something. Yeah, he's a, he's mm-hmm. a great dude and. Um, I was on an episode of his talking almost strictly about the tarot and we had, we had a blast. It was so much fun. He's got a great show. A, Scarlet Thread that, Society is great. Yeah. Right. Scarlet Thread Society. And I think yeah. we have a link to your tarot episode up on our website, which <laughs> yeah. is at Art of Dark Pod. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. That is out there. So yeah, he's a good, he's good, he's a good dude. And hopefully we've got some collaborative efforts in the future. Part of the extended, uh, you know, the extended little network. We're building We're in an here. interesting place for the intermission because you've you've set up. They've got seventy two hours. Pal it's the, it's like, in a way, it's the it, from the the a typical like thriller standpoint. It is the most intensive moment, like because it's now it's actual suspense. We've all had, the stakes have been set up. Right, right. Yeah, you're not leaving the theater. No, no. What is going to happen? What is going to happen to this guy? Yeah. He's got his his parents. It was just his birthday. Yeah. The the life of the lives of the crew are in their hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've lost communication with Earth. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. all been done without. There well, hasn't been a moment where it's oh no. Yeah. There has no jump scares. Yeah. Now here we've got his right. fellow I, is moonwalking or I is, think um, uh, spacewalking. Just for a quick bit of plot, I think what they're doing is they're going to. Um, put the piece back in place and see if it fails to test whether Hal was right or not. But if it fails, then they're out of, then they're out of comms. Right. So it's, which is unsettling, but they're trying to prove whether Hal. So they still have, do they still have, uh, they still have comms, right? They still have comms right now because that unit hasn't failed, but if it does fail, they'll be out. Ah, it's the second unit that they're putting in. Yeah. I think that's right. But now what happens is boom, there he goes. Right, Hal takes the pod, boom, 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 yeah. and all these weird jump cuts into the eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. and then jettisons him out into space. Right, right, right. Terrifying. Ah, he's, 
done. Yeah. Terrifying. He's done. The pod goes flying. He goes flying. Yep. Yeah. Game over, man. Game over. That is that is one of those fears. That's a such a deep fear. But it's like almost like a new deep fear. Because when you're afraid of a shark, you're afraid on like a union level of underwater monster, right? Like people, humans have been afraid of that for three million years, whatever. But the whole space thing, we didn't even really know what space was as a species until like, you know, 200, you know, a few hundred years ago. We never had any conception of it. So it's like this new archetypal fear. It's very strange. So he's a hero because he goes to the pod. He's going to go and try and he's rescue go and try and catch him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Day still is, you can't tell if his heartbeat is, has risen. Clearly it is. You don't know if yeah. he's dead or not. Now he's just going through and it caution explosive bolts. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. yeah doesn't it mean that that's what they put on the, it's the pods, the NASA pods and things, but all right. Now he's going to try and rescue his, uh, yeah, his colleague. Yeah. Yeah, the tension is the tension is running a little bit high. Mm. Yeah, such a fascinating movie. And you but can again, see how many tropes this created, how many oh, yeah. things that uh, other science fiction films yeah. riff on. Yeah. You know what I thing I love about this for all of the very careful choice of very intense music throughout, no music in the scene right nothing right just the yeah. empty the emptiness of space because i mm. think he's trying to accentuate that loneliness because if that guy dies it's heroic to go and try and save this guy but it partially it's a self-preservation thing because if that guy dies how vulnerable are you now right sure. he's, he's sure. the only thing you've got around to help you mm. um yeah and he's yeah, dead man. now i think i mean the well i yeah, you can't tell because yeah. did the it looks like the hose may have come off, uh, mm-hmm. but that that you can't quite tell what the nature of the uh, the suit is. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. These Here we go. Pod designs are interesting. August nineteenth, writing all day, two thousand words exploring Jupiter's satellites. Dull work. <laughs> September seventh. Stanley, quite happy. We're in fantastic shape. He has made up a 100-item <laughs> questionnaire about our astronauts. For instance, do they sleep in their pajamas? What did they eat for breakfast, etc.? That's great. <laughs> That's the kind of detail that sets Kubrick aside. It, it really does. And it pays off. You see, and it pays off. That's one of the lessons of that, that meticulousness. We're not yes. watching any other science fiction movie from 1968 and glorying in how well done it is. Not at all. No. September 8th. Upset stomach last night. Dreamed I was a robot being rebuilt. In a great burst of energy, managed to redo two chapters. Took them to Stanley, who was very pleased, and cooked me a fine steak, remarking, Joe Levine doesn't do this for his writers. (laughs) (laughs) You get the idea they had a lot of fun, right? Sure. Ah, this is good. As As he's chasing down his colleague here. September 26th. Stanley gave me Joseph Campbell's analysis of myth, the hero with a, th- a thousand faces to study. Very stimulating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You imagine that, that book, that book fell on Hollywood like a black pyramid from the sky. Yes, it, it really did. did. I mean, yes, you can, it did. people knock it now. People want to pose Joseph Campbell as some kind of sued now, but like 
there is value in articulating things in a way that can be digested, which is what I think Joseph Campbell did. I mean, he took union ideas and all these other ideas and consolidated them. And yeah, it changed, it changed putting all that stuff on paper, all these subtleties that changed how people approach writing in a lot of ways. Star Wars Absolutely. is Star Wars is yeah, profoundly influenced by influence, yeah, yeah. With unashamedly and thereby mm-hmm. everything that came after it in Hollywood. September 29th dreamed that shooting had started lots of actors standing around, but I still didn't know the storyline. <laughs> that's like a, that's like I having that dream where you, you show you're back in school and you have a test, but you didn't study. It's the same, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. He's still trying to rescue his buddy here and mm-hmm. Yeah, it's seeming kind of hopeless. Mm. Maybe he just wants to recover the body even. Well, you know, out of a respect kind of thing. Yeah, it's so interesting. Is he dead, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Brad, I would hope that you would come after me in the pod. Yeah, I'd probably come after you in the pod. I mean, I would have said, Kevin, don't ever get in the pod to begin with. That's what I would have tried to tell you. But I actually think I think I might be Hal. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. I I like how sloppy it is him trying to catch his friend. Like I like that the pod. It's like it's not made for this, so he's trying to catch Uh, it. it Right, right. It's like well, and that's such a wonderful inversion of the whole idea. Earlier, you have all these organic shapes earlier, and now you have this human shape that's being um, captured by this. mechanical shape yeah yeah just focus intense focus he's a great actor this guy he really is i don't know how he wasn't in a whole lot of sort of you know movies that are still kind of watched and talked about but he's very he's he's such a striking face and he really is uh, he's so intense the intensity is something that once you've seen this film one time it stays with you and you remember Mm -hmm. geez yeah i remember all of this so then now we cut right back to the ship and now he's showing he's showing you the hibernating people Mm -hmm. right yeah which in one thing it said one of the kind of sets up setups of this was these were the fr- normally they got on the ship and and then went into hibernation but they were this was like the first time they were put in hibernation first and i guess the idea was to save resources because this was the longest this was the longest uh trip that they had taken thus sure. far and then how kills them here oh yes right computer malfunction i think no. that's going to be the name of this episode <laughs> let me write that down real quick computer <laughs> malfunction the 2001 a space odyssey, art of darkness, uh, and uh, yeah, with Dexter Paz yeah. Yeah. episode. Let's see here, Dexter De La Paz. De La Paz, got it. Oh, like okay, functions critical. Good. So yeah, now so now he's killing Kaminsky and these other guys who were sort of the specialists. I think Bowman and Dave were they were sort of the pilots. They were, you know. They were the guys who were flying the ship. These guys were the guys who were supposed to be doing the science. Um, yeah, and it makes uh-huh. Yeah, and so Hal's apparently trying to stop all of this from happening, I guess. Stop contact with the monolith. It's not clear what his intentions are. That or he thinks that, oh, he thinks that he's he's going to be the one who gets in contact with the monolith. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
it does remind me a little bit. I've been doing um, I've been doing some reading on CERN and the Large Hadron Collider because I have some oh no and yeah uh, and I want to I want to do some research on it. And uh, at one point the LHC went down, and some scientists legitimately thought claimed or wrote in a paper. Maybe it was sardonic, but I think it was legit that they thought that somebody from the future may have been retrocausally trying to interrupt the Large Hadron Collider because of the consequences of their research. <laughs> it's a little bit of this, right? It's a little bit of the like science. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't like that. Don't no, love that, no. Brad. No, no, nope. Don't love that. No. Open, Open the, the pod bay doors, Hal. Yeah. Open the pod bay doors. Open them. Open the pod bay doors. Yeah, he's starting to breathe heavy. Yep. Yep. Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Yep. I love all of the flashing on his face. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Okay. There he says it. This. Hmm. I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. Yeah creepy yeah yeah it's so fascinating because now we really are only left with one dude who's alive Mm -hmm. and a machine in the middle of deep space on the way to jupiter right right and that's all we're left with for the remainder of the film Mm -hmm. in our minds yeah that's it yeah yeah so we've gone from the savannah the 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 dusty savannah uh or the the desert fighting Mm -hmm. over water yeah. First tool all the way to this point in a single right. film. And yeah. <laughs> man, yeah. oh man. And yeah. you, you maybe maybe you had a handful of something, maybe a handful yeah. of mushrooms, you're just coming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah. It's nineteen sixty sixty six. It's just came out. Right, right. You're in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> you're studying sociology. And yeah. this is what you're you're right. watching. Right, crack it. I saw this movie when I was a teenager, and I hundred percent not ready for this movie. Nobody, <laughs> like if you watch it, fifteen, it's this is like the Talmud. You're not supposed to watch it until you're forty or something. It's like, sure, yeah, yeah. Sure. I was the same way. I watched it when I was a teenager. Blew my friggin' mind. Yeah, it has that quality. Yeah, yeah. Now he starts getting. He does start getting upset here and starts yelling at the computer as though that will actually accomplish anything, right? So he's yelling, he's yelling at how he's raising his voice, insisting that Hal let him in, which is a natural human response to another human, but not, you know, to do it to a computer, you've sort of lost, I mean, I've yelled at my computer, so what am I talking about? But (laughs) he's sort of losing the plot here. And understandably so. I mean, the amount of pressure here is intense. Is it a case where he... Did he forget his helmet in his in his uh, rush to get in to the pod? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that. That could be because um, he doesn't no, have I his think... gloves and he doesn't doesn't have his helmet. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works. He whether he has it or not. I know he does. Obviously, he does end up getting in the ship. He did explain he, there was a there was a good bit of exposition too, where he and um, the other guy when they were conspiring they were talking in the pod and they talked through exactly what they would have to do to shut hell down. Um, ah, right. Which is cool because then it starts to happen. 
and you don't have to explain any, he doesn't have to explain anything. It's all been kind of set up before, which, you know, it's kind of sort of screenwriting 101 sort of thing, but sure. it's, still bri- it's still brilliantly handled here. Well, and, and this is where, of course, Hal is not going to let him back in because they've, they've clearly talked about it. Right. Now, does he right. let his, his pal's body go because he's dead? I think he I, does. I think he does. Yeah. Because he's got to use the arms for, for other things. Oof. Yeah. Well, there you go, buddy. Off to grad school. Come yeah. back in four years. <laughs> we wish you luck. We really do. Yep. Yeah. Good luck. You're going to make yeah. it. It's going to be all right. <laughs> Just buy the dip, buddy. Buy right. the dip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the flashing, the flashing on the face cool thing is really cool because it is sort of reflecting like the inner status of his mind a little bit, right? He's he's very he's very stoic on the front, and then there's these flickering and flashing, and you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So now he has to he has to uh, dock with the the ship, despite Hal not wanting him to. Yeah, he has to go through the airlock, which apparently is like a whole different operation than going through the, the normal pod the pod bay doors or whatever. Yeah. In the airlock, that's a... Yeah, so this is like, yeah, this is like climbing in through the window. Sneaking in after curfew. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, I, you know, I never want... The algorithm to be that angry at me oh my I gosh hope, right? i hope elon buys twitter pretty quickly because yeah otherwise yeah. we might all be in trouble yeah frank and frank and dave have been see frank the guy's bowman here has just been shadow banned so he can still get into the conversation <laughs> can but. you imagine if if twitter became sentient if twitter really is the vanguard of the future dude, ai we're doing it, it will blow us up it, will. it is. It makes decisions in like hive mind kind of way, you know. The right. Discourse. This is to manually uh, find a way to get back into the ship. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's got to operate the levers and the doors, which means he had to give his friend up. Mm. Yeah. And again, again no the, music, mm. no sound when yep. they're outside. Anyway, when the, the when it's shooting in the pod, you get the diegetic sounds of like the air and stuff being in the pod. But when it's in space, there's no sounds. Which is beautiful. The contrast of the tension in the scene with the pace of everything as well is so unusual. There's nothing else like it. It's almost from a writer's standpoint, it's like I admire the steady handedness of this because the for me, the tendency, the proclivity would be to speed everything up now. To make yes. everything in the form to meet the to match the function that like the heart rate's up. So now everything's got to be happening fat and Kubrick does not do that. You know, he keeps it, he keeps it like, this is just a normal, like it's the same pace at which they went to fix the thing in the first place. Yeah. It's really cool. It is so cool. And then he, he has to back the thing back in. Yeah. Yep. And they show all of it. He doesn't just go, I came, went to the airlock. It shows the whole, right. it shows the whole any process. Other, any other director would have cut by now. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, implied everything that happened before. And he would have gotten splashed against the door and been like, you know, <laughs> what a rush or, you know, something <laughs> he would have He would have flashed back and thought about his wife. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing that's really interesting about this film there are connections to people through video calls or whatever, but there's no, there's no sentiment at all. 
That's a great point. Yes. All. Yeah, the humans themselves are void of sentiment. Even that call between the uh, the first gentleman, what was his name? Not Bowman. Haywood the other Floyd. Guy. Yeah. Floyd yeah. and his daughter. It just it just reeks of in, very inauthenticity. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. a feeling of they're all mediated. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. And here he is, and now he's got to shut Hal down. Right. When right. what else can Hal do at this point? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Is like, what are what are his other defenses? I mean, he probably could leak all the air out or something. Mm, I don't um, know. Yeah. Well, here you go. Here are the here are the uh, explosive bolts pay off, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, this is a. I guess it, oh, this is yeah. He because he gets blown into the airlock. This is kind of intense. <laughs> yeah. Um. This oh. is yeah, uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so this makes me think Kevin, like what are your so uh, in terms of um artificial intelligence? Like where do you stand in all this? Are you like, oh, it's a good it's a good thing. We should be automating all this stuff. No, it's the antichrist. It's the antichrist. Okay. I think right, good. <laughs> No, I think That's I think it's, it's I think it's no, I think it's complicated. I think what do you yeah, mean by course. AI? I think what, when they say AI, I think a lot of the time they're they're talking about like a giant oh. spread spreadsheet oh. with oh, yeah, logic. That's, yeah, that's my yeah. my my quote is uh, a sufficiently advanced spreadsheet is indistinguishable from so-called AI. But yeah. um so yeah, I I definitely agree. But like the notion most of the time when a company is saying they use artificial intelligence to solve a problem, it's just that they have a spreadsheet that's really sophisticated. That's really or database yeah. that's really. But so, if we're talking about AI in terms of oh, like an, an artificial general intelligence comes to life in yeah. in a in a way that's uh, that would be that would pass the, what is it? The Turing test the Turing and all test. the rest of yeah. it. Yeah. It starts to become quite alarming because if that thing gets loose mm-hmm. uh, in the so-called cloud or whatever else it is, uh, yeah, it could, it could be disastrous for, yeah. for humanity. Never mind the fact that the, the company or the organization that would ha- has, has the potential to develop the thing first right. Right. Could have this extraordinary power advantage. Uh, oh yeah, which could lead yeah. to all sorts of problems. Yeah, they, right, they, and they don't even have to be that far ahead. Right, mm. you could be a yeah. month ahead on this, and you develop it, and you use it to wipe out all of the competition. And then, sure, you know, at some, you know, if you're talking about literally a a a self evolving intelligent system, right, that can make itself smarter all, over time. You're talking about something that first is as smart as a person in all the ways a person is, and then rapidly is smarter than all of us put together. Sure, you know, in some, and then it's also sense. one would assume, assuming you be, can to be an intelligence, that. it would need to be aware of its own the poten- its own potential for for its own demise. Right, in right. which case it would possibly feel the uh, the onus to protect itself at all right. costs. Right, and if well, it decided that humanity was a threat. Yeah. Then you're in down that rabbit hole. I, mean, I haven't really yeah. read up on the most recent thinking about it. Yeah, uh, I, I did read um, Nick Bostrom, the guy who came up, who formulated the simulation theory, but also wrote a book called Super Intelligence about the various routes in which this could take and his sort of concerns. And the one thing he said was sort of interesting is like one of the the things that people have pushed back against this is like, well, if it starts to get seem too dangerous, we'll just unplug, you know, metaphorically, we'll just unplug it. And his point was, if it's smart enough, it's going to know to hide from you, hide how smart it is from you. Right. Right. Which is an right. interesting thing, right? What to if think you, of this thing. right, you build the thing and it's already ahead of you, tricking mm-hmm. you because 
you've unleashed it already. Right. Yeah, right. Really, and, really strange. Yeah. And then about. you're going to try to outsmart it. You literally made it to be smarter than you and you're going to outsmart it. It's just the, it's, it's a, there's something to it to me. That's like, there's a kind of a cognitive food chain, right? We won the physical food tra- food chain, right? Became sort of the apex predator by being smarter than everything else. Right. So yes. we're smarter than lions. That's why they're in cages and we're not, you know, they kill us every once in a while, but on the whole. So with the whole artificial general intelligence thing, it's like, yeah, you know what? The one thing we got going for us is that we're real smart. What we should do is make something smarter than us. Like, are we, like what, do you mean, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Maybe we weren't that smart after all. Maybe we should right. have, uh, yeah, stuck with our incense in our churches and yeah. our funny rituals. Yeah. And he's shutting, he's shutting Hal down now slowly. Yeah, I love this at, design. He said a time. My yeah, mind gorgeous. is going, Dave. Yep. There's no uh, question about I'm it. I'm going to read a little more from Arthur C. Clarke's yeah, do. diary of the making of this, of the uh, genesis of it. Yeah. October 2nd. Finished reading Robert Ardrey's African Genesis. Came across a striking paragraph which might even provide a title for the movie. Why did not the human line become extinct in the depths of the Pliocene? We know Hmm. that, but for a gift from the stars, but for the accidental collision of Ray and Jean, intelligence would have perished on some forgotten African field. True, Mm -hmm. Ardrey is talking about cosmic ray mutations, but the phrase, a gift from the stars, is strikingly applicable to our present plot line. October Mm. 6th, have got an idea which I think is crucial. The people we meet on the other star systems are humans who were collected from Earth 100,000 years ago and hence are virtually identical with us. October 8th, thinking of plot all morning, but after a long walk in the sun, we ended up on the East River watching the boats. We dumped all our far-fetched ideas. Now we're settling for a galactic peace corps and no blood and thunder. October 17th, Stanley has invented the wild idea of slightly fag robots who create a Victorian (laughs) environment to put our heroes at ease. So we, we see that later at the end of the movie with the, the final, yeah. yeah so yep. these goofy ideas, these throwaway ideas that he and Arthur C. Clarke are batting around, I they love make their way into the film. They do. I love hearing about Kubrick's method, which is so trial and error-y. So just like, yeah, maybe that'll work. Let's think about that. Maybe that'll work. Mm-hmm. Let's think about that. Right? Really just hunting them all down. You know, sending out all of his dogs, hoping one of them will come back with dinner kind of thing. It's really... Yeah, it's really impressive. Yeah. Daisy, Daisy, <laughs> oh, God. give me your answer, dude. <laughs> I'm half crazy. I can sing like Hal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do have, you and Hal have a similar singing voice. It's lovely. Yeah, it's such, oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It won't be a stylish marriage. Yeah, well, then the Robitussin is really right. Oh, in my this God. Yeah, if you, dra- if you drank the Robitussin, you're like, am I hearing this right? <laughs> Like, <laughs> is the robot singing? Wait, what? <laughs> oh my God, it's so intense. And he's, it, he yeah. knows in a funny way, he's, he's killing this life form in a funny way. He's, he does. And he's, yeah. he's hobbling himself too. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, of course. And then, and then uh, Dr. Floyd appears. You get the pre recorded briefing, right? You get the briefing. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Where it's revealed to him what, mm-hmm. yeah. They weren't briefed before sending them out into deep space. That's such a great irony. 
There's yes. this bomb under the table. We mm-hmm. as the audience kind of know something's up. Right, right. We, we know that it has infer. to connect to what mm-hmm. happened before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, And the, the, you have all these ironies, right? They think the crew is going to be revived. The crew is not revived. Mm-hmm. Now he has to go and confront whatever this thing is out in deep space. Yeah, yeah. And he's and alone. He's alone. He's There's his... never been a man more alone than Bowman here. Right. M- mil- what? Million? Millions? Is it millions of miles? Hundreds of thousands. Uh, hundreds of thousands of miles. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We're I'm yeah. not, not a science guy. Let's see. Uh, right. Distance to Jupiter. Oh, yeah. It's 510 million miles. Woo! <laughs> when it's uh, when they're right, when they're at their closest, the distance is only only yeah. three hundred and sixty-five right. million miles. Oh, that's no big deal. Here Jupiter, we go, Jupiter, and beyond, and beyond the infinite. <laughs> they kept a little Whoa. bit of that thunder. They kept a little bit of that blood and thunder, and beyond. They sure the did. They sure yeah. did. But it Brad, you, uh, I'm gonna keep listening. You vamp for a second. I gotta, okay. I gotta use the uh, yeah for sure. The so yeah, now we're I actually take an intermission. Oh yeah, well hey, that's all right. So yeah, now we're looking at now we're looking at Jupiter. We're in movement four. We're seeing the monolith actually fly through space, which is which is an interesting move. I think we're looking at Jupiter. I believe that's Neptune. All right, we've got that crazy druidic, creepy music again. I might have to make that my cell phone ring. It's very unsettling. <laughs> And we've got the Discovery ship. Now we know Bo- uh, Dave is out all by himself on this thing. Like Kevin was saying, the loneliest man of all time. Yeah, hey, you know, there's six. The rocket boosters are six hexagons. I wish we had Dextron to explain to us what he thought that meant. Because that seems like some demonic stuff right there. Yeah. So now the monolith takes on this character that I don't know what to make of it. Now that it's flying around, if it can fly around, why did it need to send out a signal is my question with this. But there's also a thing, this is a thing that science fiction fans, I think, can sometimes make the mistake of trying to explain everything rationally. And you see this at the end, this is where the end of the movie messes with people so hard, in my opinion. It's like, okay, you've got this extremely speculative scenario. You've run this plot, you know, out into the beyond the infinite. And everybody wants to say, Beyond the infinite. (laughs) And a lot of people want to be like, well, it all has to make sense. This whole move has to make sense. So what's the room about? What's the star child about? What's the model? Like, it doesn't, some things are just a vibe. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's true. And you, you can enjoy this film Without without ever reading the book, I, I oh absolutely yeah you know yeah yeah I think the films but this is one case where film is a little bit better than the book it depends what they're 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 equally good at doing different things I I think they belong together yeah they, I think that's probably true that was the whole idea I mean yeah. they conceived of it together yeah the film can do things that the book can't and the book can do right. things that the film can't and right. they. Uh, yeah, if you haven't read the book, I would encourage you to read the book, then watch the movie or vice yeah. versa. It's a very rewarding experience. Yeah, for sure. One other thing on this, one other thing on this inability to fully excavate what do things mean? I mean, you know, 
we kind of started this part of the reason behind the scenes sort of back channel why we wanted to do this was Dexter we were talking with Dexter and he wanted to kind of talk about the symbology of stuff and I think we've done that a little bit here hopefully in an interesting manner but the one thing is really important about symbology symbols and all of that if you can fully understand what a symbol means quote unquote it's not actually a symbol in the proper use of that term, in my opinion. The symbol, an actual symbol, always has sort of a mystery at its core, right? It always, mm. and this was a sort mm. of a union idea. I'm not making this up. This was, this was mm. how Jung defined a symbol. It was, it was stuff you could get a sense of. You could say things about it. You could circumambulate it, but you could never quite get to its center, and so you have a movie that's as powerfully symbolic as this, trying to get down to the functional center of it, you're never quite going to get there. The, the virtue in it is the attempt more than it is actually arriving at it, I think. Sure. Well, and now he's in the pod and all of these different planets are aligning. You've got yeah. the moon and, and Jupiter and all the rest of it. And yeah. it's going to bring us into this incredible psychedelic finale unlike anything oh that else in cinema yeah Yeah, full stop yeah yeah now yeah now we're just rotating that monolith it looks so trippy and yeah again putting yourself into 1968 sitting in the theater (laughs) you know what i yeah yeah you've never seen no movie has ever been anything close to this before Stanley Kubrick as a master shape rotator. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He's, you, got, you got the word cell, Arthur C. Clarke, and yep. then you got shape yep. rotator, Stanley it's, Kubrick. It's definitely true. Oh, man. Oh, yes. That look on his eyes, on his face, too. Perfectly acted. Just like... As he ends up inside the vortex of... Yeah, the psychedelic vortex. Yeah. It's, He's being shown something, again, that no one has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Or, or is he be, being shown the equivalent of what the what Moonwatcher saw? I kind of think, I think that's what it is. I think it's, and again, I don't want to try to explain it too much, but yeah, I think he's seeing the, what humans are now ready for. Right. Like humans, yeah, yeah, yeah. humans were ready to know how to kill each other or use the bone mm. as a weapon. And now they're ready to see whatever this is. And it's probably beyond what you and I are and other people are ready for. Mm. But I think the only thing you can really relate to, to it would be some kind of religious visionary experience. It's yeah, really he's trying to only... give you... Did I read? I can't remember in our reading. Did Kubrick do drugs? I don't think that he did. I think he... I think the official story is he didn't. Hmm. And whether the official you know, story. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying I think he did even, but like, you know. But yeah, this is... <laughs> it's just... And it just goes on and on and on and on too. It goes and, on and it's, for a really long time. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is yeah. fantastic. It's just yeah. this like... And again, you're, you're in the cinema and what... What am I seeing? What does this I, have to do with the guy at the beginning? Why? What? I thought this was a space movie and now it's turned yeah. into this kaleidoscopic... And then I will, yeah, and then I will tell you this is not different than um, some aspects of the DMT experience. Yeah, for some I'll back people. that up. 
for I'll some people. It, mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a passing, there can be a sense of passing through. This is like the, sh- you're getting sort of rocketed through this geometrical ever shifting dynamic, but it has a focused sort of center to it. Like this mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. It's very intense. Now it's black and white ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes like an art film. Oh, it really I mean, is. It's like all, a, it's always an art film. Yeah. But, like uh, a high budget experimental, like you're in college and somebody shows you this on a projector in the, yeah, you know, yeah, in the yeah, film yeah. lab, except right. done with an incredible budget and exquisite eye. Yeah. 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 Now you've got this sort of Milky Way imagery. Now, Christopher Nolan tried to do a similar thing with Interstellar. What did you think about Interstellar, Kevin? Uh, uh, I don't remember it. Okay. Which tells you you what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think it's pretty good. I think it's, I'm not, you know, a fanboy of it necessarily, but I think it, I definitely think it had its moments. I think where it fell down a little bit. I, mean, I think where it fell down a little bit was when he tried to recreate this sort of psychedelic experience. He tried to have this sort of same mo- moment and mm. it didn't. Mm. For the record, the all same. of the times that I talk about how Dune, <laughs> the new Dune kind of fails on, for me, yeah. it doesn't yeah. hit a, a home yeah. run. Yeah. It's a solid double. Uh, when I say the film itself is not psychedelic, this is what I mean. Right. And, right. and do I think that, Villeneuve was going to subject normies to, you know, a 20 minute psychedelic breakdown right. in that movie. No. Do I think he should have? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I'm hoping, this is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping the second volume of that film, that's how it opens. Is it's just like in, intense psychedelia for, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes, it's, something. It's a wonderful film. I've watched yeah. it twice. I'll probably watch it again. I'm, yeah. Big, I big fan. I like it. I just that that one gripe that I have really sits in my craw because it's it's at the center of the whole plot. It really is. Yeah. So now he's moved to this imagery that is starting to seem like amniotic or something, right? It's gone from being like interstellar cybernetic video. It looks like a lava lamp. Well, it's more lava lampy. It to me, it feels like you're in the womb or something. Right, and that's been a well. Then you've got this running, clear sperm imagery running through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It has uh, well, and that's that's one of the mo- the motif of this uh, story is this idea that the humans and then merged with whatever this intelligence mm-hmm. is are giving birth to the star child. Right, and then at the end of the book, the Earth, all of the countries of the Earth, launch nukes. At, at the, the star, star child, child. Right. and the star child just shrugs them off, right, right, right. and descends yeah. to to Earth. Yeah, yeah. Don't exactly know what it means. <laughs> well, yeah, it doesn't have to mean. It. Yeah. Oh my God! And then and then we have these these tesseracts or whatever they yeah. they are these crazy yeah. shapes. This dude tripped. I don't buy it. <laughs> he this dude tripped. Yeah, it's hard to battery. Think about. 
he took some notes. He went on Arrowhead. He, he talked he, to yeah. He, he talked he, to some people. He talked yeah. to some acid heads. Well, and He's with the level in of England, he had to be tripping. With the level of research he did, you know, like he reaches out to Hilton. What will you be doing in two thousand and one? So he can build his space. So he clearly, you imagine, he would go to some acid heads at the very least, and yeah, at the very least, ask some questions. You know, go to whoever yes. did Pink Floyd's light shows early on. And absolutely, it's <laughs> Dr. Floyd. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, right. Interesting. Yeah. Let's do, uh, let's do a little more from the diary. We only have yeah, about 20 minutes left in the flying film. into yeah. this, flying into this false colored scene here. Yeah. Which is so, the Savannah. I think. Yes. We're coming full circle. I think. Indeed. Or it's mm. supposed to imply that anyway. Yeah. It, it's, it's reminding you of the, first uh, part of the film yeah. november 20th this is arthur c clark's diary went to natural history museum to see dr harry shapiro head of anthropology who took a poor view of Ardry. then had a session with stan arguing about early man's vegetarian versus carnivorous tendencies stan wants our visitors to turn man into a carnivore i, ar- I argued that he always was back at mm. the chelsea hotel phoned ike asimov to discuss the biochemistry of turning veg- vegetarians into carnivores huh. what a what a day he's calling yeah. isaac asimov yeah yeah, hey, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah i want to live like leonard this. cohen's getting a blowy you know. <laughs> <laughs> down below yeah. dylan thomas has just had 16 shots of whiskey Dylan Thomas is already dead. No, uh, I know. Yeah, in the yeah, in the yeah, theater yeah. of the spiritually Chelsea, in the Chelsea, Chelsea Hotel. Hotel yeah. Mind. Oh man, yeah. we gotta go. We we have to visit New York and go visit uh, Chelsea we Hotel. That'd be fun. Pilgrimage at some point. We should do November twenty first. Read Leakey's Adam's ancestors. Getting rather desperate now, but after six hours discussion, Stan had a rather amusing idea. Our ETs arrive on Earth and teach commando tactics to our pacifistic ancestors so that they can survive and flourish. We had an entertaining time knocking this one around, but I don't think it's viable. Well, that's what ends up happening. The monolith is the thing that teaches them how to use weapons. Yeah, Right, right. Uh, But they went in a much subtler, generalized kind of way, right? Right. Which I think works way better. I got a few more here. Mm-hmm. Called This is November 22nd. Called Stan and said, I didn't think any of our flashback ideas were any good. He slowly talked me out of this mood and I was feeling more cheerful when I suddenly said, what if our ETs are stranded on Earth and need the ape men to help them? This idea, probably not original, but what the hell, opened up whole new areas of plot, which we are both exploring. Hmm. November 23rd. Stanley distracted by numerous consultations with his broker and wants my advice on buying ComSat. I don't know what that is. What is ComSat? Um, ComSat communication satellite? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I don't know what it, it could means be. Maybe context. he's talking about like an, in, an investment, maybe. Could be. Um, yeah. Buy the dip. Oh, De- man. These visuals, these visuals are actually, oh, I, I haven't seen this part in so long. They're crazy. They're, they're really good. It's great, man. Yeah. It's the you kind of the thing where an orange landscape like a student cool. film. Mm-hmm. This would be your your master's thesis, and you'd go off and have a position mm-hmm. talking about composition in film or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is it is definitely a callback to the beginning. It's some kind of like refracting that initial scene of human beings or whatever. <laughs> I got another one here. This one's good. December tenth. Stanley calls after screening H.G. Wells' Things to Come and says he'll never see another movie I recommend. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's, uh, let me do one more because now we're in the Victorian chamber. Yes. Ah, <clears throat> uh, 
December 21st, much of afternoon spent by Stanley planning his Academy Award campaign for Dr. Strangelove. I get Mm. back to the Chelsea to find a note from Allen Ginsberg asking me to join him and William Burroughs at the bar downstairs. Do so thankfully in search of inspiration. (laughs) Uh, And now we're in the strange room. Oh, you know what I love is that they put the pod in there. Yeah, like, yeah. It isn't just him in the, the pods in there, which is unsettling. There's that juxtaposition. Well, and then the floor too, but this whole scene is... It looks like a disco floor. It like you almost like expect it to floor. light up and... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very cool. But it's appointed like a Victorian room, like he mentioned in that one note. So some of that survived. And Dave is clearly, you know, tripping mm. <laughs> still. Right, and then he's he sees himself see in the himself suit, or does he suit. end up? He no, he suddenly he's out there in the suit. All these uncanny yeah. effects. And he's old. He's old, much older mm. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Pod's this gone. is Mondo show. Don't tell stuff too. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what people are com- kind of, I think, mystified by the ending of it, and rightfully so. And that's what Kubrick was trying to do, but. You know, some of this stuff, it's like, okay, well, what, what does the ending mean? Well, okay, he passed through some kind of mind-expanding portal out in space, and now he's in some kind of weird afterlife thing. Like, in a way, I don't know that you need to explain it more than that. It's so beautifully rendered, right? It's like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. What does it mean? Well, what does it mean to, I don't know. What does it mean to, like, be born and then die? I don't, I don't know. It's Ah, Comsat. So I'm reading here. Comsat headquarters, Washington, for launch of first commercial communications satellite, Early yeah. Bird. Yeah, and of course, okay. Arthur C. Clarke ideated the notion of he did. satellites. Com, com, yeah, communication yeah. satellites. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This bathroom is awesome. <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me of The Shining. The the yeah. palette reminds me of The Shining yeah. bathroom as yeah. well. If I were loaded and just had a lot of money to just blow on stuff, I would make our bathroom this exact bathroom. And you'd have to get you'd have to get a leftist to write the instructions for you <laughs> as a meme. <laughs> Twelve steps how 12 to use steps. this. Each one is toilet. a full paragraph. Starts with a land acknowledgement. <laughs> 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 Your meme starts with a land acknowledgement and just ease up. It's a meme. Yeah, calm down. <laughs> you don't even know where it's gonna be, buddy. I saw on Twitter somebody somebody posted, you know, if if Europeans started doing land acknowledgments, it would be a civil war within a year. It's probably true. Like in Europe. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. And then he then he sees himself eating. Mm -hmm. This is quite intense. It really is. April twelfth. Much excitement when Stanley phones to say that the Russians claim to have detected radio signals from space. Rang Walter Sullivan at the New York Times and got the real story, merely fluctuations in Quasar CTA 102. Uh, uh, it's, just, it's just Quasar fluctuations. It's not yeah, really a big, no big deal. deal. Yeah, let me call my, call my guy. Yeah. I'm not even sure what a Quasar is exactly, but... Hmm. And that is him, right? It's the same actor who's been eight yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. Well, not eight. He's, they did make he's up. He's like back looking then. at himself and... Yeah. You know, I had that experience in a sensory deprivation tank one time where I met, my, met an older version of myself. It was very unsettling. felt very real. Did he have money? He didn't. No. Oh, yeah. He was doing like okay, but not... Hmm. 
he was wearing like a red, an old beat up red windbreaker. Looked like mm. he was out for his daily walk. I got to read a couple more of these. Town. These are too good. You're talking about not the best part of town. April 19th. Went up to the office with about 3,000 words Stanley hasn't read. The place is really humming now. About 10 people working there, including two production staff from England. Mm. The walls are getting covered with impressive pictures, and I already feel quite a minor cog in the works. (laughs) Some psychotic who insists that Stanley must hire him has been sitting on a park bench outside the office for a couple of weeks and occasionally comes to the building. In self-defense, Stan has secreted a large hunting knife in his briefcase. (laughs) New York in the 60s. New York, New York. Yeah, baby. Stanley Kubrick. We're going to make it. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, Stanley. Just bring that knife to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is May 1st. And, of course, we're watching watching Bowman putter around in this room. Yeah. Uh, May 1st, found that a fire had broken out on the third floor of the Chelsea, waited anxiously in the lobby while the firemen dealt with it. Visions of the only complete copy oh, of the God. manuscript going up in smoke. Wouldn't that be, I mean, you know, that was, Ooh. whose fault was this fire? I'd like to know the story of this fire. Mm. You know, it was probably, um, who knows? Who knows what it would have been, who would have been in the late 60s. He's got Alan, a- Gins- Alan Ginsberg was, you know. Drop yeah, his, right his kerchief on a candle or something. See, he's eating again here. He's having a real meal. Yes, that is a very, real meal. He's got a little like what would you call it? Like little white wine. Oh, and he mm-hmm. spills the glass. Yeah, breaks the glass. It's an interesting production choice to make this floor like this because I think the tendency would be to make it a normal room, right? Mm. The whole room would be that room. Well, the isn't the idea that the 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 intelligence has created this for created him. a room for him to be comfortable in yeah i well, think it shows him i think that's kind of the idea yeah yeah now he sees himself on his deathbed mm-hmm. june so 7th sh- yeah he's showing him his life yeah june or 7th bad bad book review in the tribune says i should stick to science exposition and am an amateur at fiction <laughs> <laughs> Dang! Sorry, Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> but uh, maybe you should just stick to uh, writing pop sci articles, okay? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let the let the real let the real writers do it. You know, this is a really fun uh, diary read. Anybody who's listening is interested in this. This is in cinephiliabeyond.org. You could just look up Arthur C. Clarke 2001 diary. And now our hero is seeing the monolith in the center of this strange Victorian room on his deathbed. He points toward it, yeah. eager to touch it yeah, as the touch it. astronauts had done before him, as the apes had done before the astronauts. Yeah. He's breathing heavily. And we're and he's going to the camera is going to pan into the monolith. There's the star child yep, on the he's bed. Become, he's become the star child now. Oh he had to God, die in order to be reborn. Man. Yeah. Oh man, we're about to have a baby next month. There's there's something oh, uh, yeah. very real about this. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, by the Thank way. Thank you. Very exciting. Every child is a star child. That's true. That's very true. Ah, uh, and then and then it pans through and it's boom, the moon. Boom, 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 boom. No timpani player has ever had more fun. No. This music is so, you know how 
you know, a piece of art is effective is that you can parody it. And this music is almost like you can almost parody this music now. Like I could see this in like a Simpsons. I think it's used in a Simpsons episode. It's, this, you know, this is riffed on so intense. by so many cartoons and family guy. It's like, by the time mm-hmm. you see it, you've heard mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. a million different ways. If you're yeah. a TV watching kid, at least, such a gorgeous least shot, though. you're matching, you know, the star child with the planet itself. And, and it's this idea of human consciousness rising to another level, which mm-hmm. I think we've all been going through with the internet. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's ultimately, ultimately the read on that is, is it is the story of the evolution of humans, right? And beyond the infinite, out into, you know, this certain cosmological conception. And that's it. Film was directed and produced by Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Banger. And thank you, Dexter De La Paz, for, for doing this with us. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks to anybody who popped into the, uh, to the spaces. Looks like we had a little uh, light turnout there. People pop in and out. It's a lot. Yeah. I hope you, know, you enjoyed it. And uh, Brad, let's do another 20 or 30 minutes on the yeah. After Dark. We always do that. Yes. Uh, in Cinerama, Stanley <laughs> Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. What the hell did I just watch there, Larry? <laughs> I don't know, Joe, but I'm going to go down to the bar and have a few scotches and try to forget about it. <laughs> uh, got to go back to the office tomorrow. <laughs> got to go back to work uh, tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know what the hell that was, Larry. Someone's, someone's got to like sell a, that gabardine. I like a good song and dance number myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what's, but, what's wrong? with pennies from heaven you know (laughs) well so we're gonna and on the after dark i think i want to read a few more things from arthur c clark's diary and let's just unpack what we just saw this is this is art of darkness you can find us you know where to find us artofdarkpod.com patreon.com slash art of dark pod brad that was a lot of fun we got to do another one of these movies at some point and uh see what people think about it you have any final words for before we go i don't think so no yeah just uh you know have a good night yeah, Thanks try for showing not up. To, if you showed, showed to, up live, we appreciate yeah, it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Try not to upset yeah. the algorithm. Yeah, do your best. Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> <laughs>